All right. Well, we are live uh, with the Deadly Analysis podcast. Um, tonight, we are going to be discussing the sequel to Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass's uh, 2014 mumble accordion masterpiece, Creep. So tonight is all about Creep 2. Um, so we've moved on from the original, and tonight we're going to talk about uh, the sequel that came out actually earlier this year, about a month or two ago. So we've essentially gone from peach fuzz to like straight full beard. So like the first like peach fuzz full beard at this point. And what we're going to do tonight is bring out our inner uh, trichotillomania and pick apart that beard just piece by piece. We're going to talk about the movie, pick it apart piece by piece. We want to analyze the sequel, talk about uh, its similarities and its differences with the original creep. And ultimately, the goal of this podcast tonight really at the end of the day is just to pay homage to Mark Duplass's penis. It's the only reason we exist. It's why we're here tonight. That is that's our goal tonight. Okay. Um, so uh, if you've seen both of these films, um, I'm hoping this will be somewhat of a fun exploration tonight. There's a very different type of tension in Creep 2, I think, than in the original Creep. And so I'm excited to explore why it's different, uh, aside from Mark Duplass's penis, which is maybe 30% of the excitement, 50%. Um, so the premise of Creep 2 is actually pretty simple. Uh, Sarah, a struggling YouTuber, which of course, a few of us on this podcast know what that's like, right? Uh, Sarah, played by Desiree Akavan, has a YouTube series called Strange Encounters, where she documents essentially the weirder side of Craigslist, you know, the people that are lonely and just need someone to talk to. And so she stumbles upon the listing of our antagonist, uh, Mark Duplass, who asks her to document essentially his internal exploration as a serial killer who's hit somewhat of a midlife crisis, right? Uh, his kills don't seem to be doing. Uh, don't seem to be doing it for him anymore. And the thrill is gone, as it were. And so he wants uh, to put on sort of the best finale possible uh, for her show and use her show as a kind of catalyst to explore his existential crisis, so to speak. And and that's that's essentially what Creep 2 is about in a nutshell. Um, so I'm here tonight with Shayra, uh, Ben, Antonio, uh, and Jim. So pretty much all of the people who are here for the original Creep discussion. And I want to start this by getting a yes or no from everyone on the panel. Don't I don't want to hear anything else. I just want to hear a yes or a no. Okay, here we go. Did you like Creep? Uh, 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 let me rephrase it. Which film did you like better, Creep or Creep 2? So it's actually not a yes or no. I'm an idiot. Did you like Creep better or Creep 2? So you either have to say Creep or Creep 2. I'm going to start with Shayra. Just that's it. Creep 2. Jim. Creep 2. Ben. Creep 2. Antonio. I didn't hear you. Say it again. The original creep. Of course. Of course. Of course. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say creep 2. I'm going to say creep. So basically, we're all going to just hodgepodge onto Antonio. Like, Antonio is going to have to take all of us on top of him tonight. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you're cutting out a bit, Noah. You disappeared. Yeah, well, um, okay, so I think Noah's working on his uh, technical difficulties right now, so I am, I, I guess I'll start with a little bit of why I liked Creep 2 a little more than Creep, unless Noah wants to jump back in at any point here. Um, so... Uh, the, the, the reasons I like Creep, uh, Creep 2 a little bit better is because I think you can't see Creep 2 without seeing Creep. Um, I think that 
uh, it is a hard sequel. You have to know what's going on in the original Creep, and you have to see all of uh, Aaron's um, methods and all of his his usual tricks in order to understand the how his usual tricks don't work on Sarah. So in that sense, Creep 2 is incredibly dependent upon Creep, but I did end up leaving Creep 2 a lot more fulfilled. Um, I had a lot, I was much more compelled by Creep 2 than Creep. And the reason for that, I think, is there were moments in the original Creep in which Patrick Bryce's character was so... I couldn't identify with him because he was making choices that seemed to fit the script rather than choices that a logical, rational human being would make. Um, there were choices, there were times when I think a logical, rational human being would just be like, fuck you, dude, I'm going home. And and that the story would then end there. Of course it can't because, you know, then we don't get to see him get an axe through his head. Um, in this case, there's a moment in this film when Sarah is on the the in the bathroom and she's recording herself, and she says, "All of my red flags have gone up, but I'm gonna, I'm still gonna do this." And I also think that there were moments when uh, Aaron tried some of his old bullshit on her and it didn't work. So it felt like this was more of an even match. It felt like, um, anything could happen. Whereas in the original creep, I was rather certain that Patrick Bryce was going to die by the end of the film. But by in this film, I didn't know what was going to happen. And it seemed as though these two were more evenly matched than, um, than Aaron and the Patrick Price character from the original one. And that's one of the reasons why I found it to be much more compelling and much more suspenseful because it was, as I said, it, it the evenness of the match between the, the two wits was, uh, was what compelled me the most. Yeah. And if you'll, if you'll recall, that was our original, um, one of our original complaints in the, in the original creep discussion we had was that Patrick Bryce didn't seem to match Mark Duplass in a way that was sufficient cinematically. And then also as a character, right? Because I remember Antonio specifically actually talking a lot about like, Pat, there were so many scenes that Patrick Bryce just should have left. Like Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, Aaron should have just gotten out of there. Any rational, like 90% of rational people would have left at, at certain points that are early on in the film. And this film fixed that to a certain extent to me. It incentivized the protagonist to stay with the idea that they're desperate for YouTube views, which I thought was great. It, it sort of, the film took the 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 weaknesses of the first one and addressed them. Maybe it didn't address them sufficiently. I'll be curious to see what Antonio's criticisms are, but to me it addressed them sufficiently, but it it thought about him at least. It uh, you know, there's literally as Jim was pointing out a scene where uh, Sarah looks at her camera and says your red flags are up. Well, like if you go back and watch our first analysis of creep, the the word we used all over that entire analysis was red flags. Like Joseph um uh, uh, Aaron's red flag should have been up here. Aaron's red flag should have been up here, right? And you actually have a character at this point saying, I get it, I'm there, they're there, I see them, but I really, this is, but it's it's an incentive to keep going, those red flags, right? Which I thought was a brilliant way to address an issue in, uh, that, was, that was that inherent in, in the first one. Also the acting, I love you, Patrick Bryce, you ever watch this, you're, you're great, you're a great director. The, the acting in this one with, um, with Sarah, uh, who's also a director 
from my understanding herself, was was a, a I think a little better match for Mark Duplass. I felt like um, uh, Aaron in the first film just was kind of a yes man, no man sort of very linear character. Didn't have didn't have much to him. Where Sarah was a little more involved character, a little more complex, and was able to kind of keep up with Mark Duplass in terms of. Um, in terms of acting. So I like the fact that it incentivized the protagonist in a way that we kind of critiqued the first film as not having. And um, the acting was a little better. I mean, I, I dug that. I dug that. So initially, that's I, I want to agree with Jim and maybe add a little bit onto that. I, I For those reasons, I thought Creep 2 is better than Creep 1. What, what about Shayra or Ben? What did you guys think? I thought this was an excellent rom-com. I really hope they do end up together at the end. Like, I, I know we got a little bit cut off, but I, I so ship them. I think they're so great together, and I love this couple. Like, they are so great. And um, at, my daughter and I, we were watching, and we were like, oh, they're going to smash. They're going to smash. And I didn't know it involved a shovel, but uh, that was exciting twist to it. <laughs> um, but I, I really do ship these people. Um, there was so much comedy involved in this. And this, this goes in line with what I've been trying to say for a while throughout all of our analysis. Comedy and horror seem to have this magic marriage, and so many comedians do horror so fucking well. Like, it's so beautiful when, it, when a comedian tries to do horror. Um, so this is what happens when comedians do horror, and when they do it right, and when they do it perfect. And um, the great thing I found out about this film was that, uh, what was, what's the actor, actress's name, Danielle? Is, um, the it's Desiree. Yeah, De Desiree. Desiree. Okay, Desiree I knew start with a D. Um, Desiree. <laughs> Desiree. Uh, apparently, she added a lot to this film. I mean, obviously they had some stuff that they had planned out, but there were times where she was like, "Why would my character do that? My character would do this," and adds that element. So there's so many times where I'm watching the movie and I'm like, "Oh my god," he said, "You have 24 hours." Oh my god, the blender. Oh my god, this. And she mentions it. Like she reads my mind, and I love that about this film. Um, they, they know what they're calling out to, and they're like, yeah, I know what you're thinking, and I'm going to fuck with you because you're thinking it. And it's like, oh, fuck, you're in my head. I love it. And um, it was a mind fuck, a great rom-com, and I, I, I really hope they end up being like murderous couple together. Like, I don't know if it'll end <laughs> that way, but that's my hope. I was wondering what Creep 3 would be, but that's a pretty good idea. Go ahead. I was going to say that may end up being the case, but sort of in a, in a weird, twisted way. Um, you notice, uh, at, you know, at one point, um, Aaron, or uh, not Aaron, yeah, Aaron, Aaron in this one, Aaron talks about uh, sort of like this Jesus metaphor that he wants to pull over when he's um, down by the creek. Um, and I think that's a really sort of like critical, interesting story and element that he brings to this, um, because even though, of course, it doesn't work out in that original scene, it somehow sort of uh, ends up copulating into kind of like a weird transformed sort of thing that they do in the hot tub scene and you get that story out of him and it's really interesting to hear about his transformation and how that sort of surrounds um somebody who attacked him and him sort of surviving that scenario right so obviously you get the same thing out of desiree's character um she's put into this situation um she ends up going through this ordeal and surviving and you know who knows what she takes away from that uh, situation yeah i mean she might have a little bit of that in her you know and i think one of the reasons why the two characters played so well together in this particular film is because they're quite a bit alike. Um, if you notice, like the, the similarities between them, of course, you know they're both trying to capture something, something very special on film, and the entire time, uh, Sarah she's trying to get a rise out of him. She's doing things 
purposely to sort of like antagonize and get reactions out of Aaron. And so like you see kind of like that, that same kind of thought process and similarity, you know, just, just between them, they do a lot of the same kinds of things. So who knows, right? Like if she is put in this sort of stressful situation and given this sort of rebirth, she might come out of that with a renewed interest and a new passion in some other sort of area, right? You know, I think it would be really cool to see Creek Through that follows up on that. Now I'm curious, Antonio, why yeah. you thought that uh, Creep, the original Creep, was better than this one. Negative Nancy time. <laughs> so, Usually so, that's my role. <laughs> right. So to distinguish, first of all, um, when I say that I liked Creep better, I don't necessarily mean that I think that Creep was a smarter movie than Creep 2 or Good. even necessarily a better movie than Creep yeah. 2. Um. I think Creep 2 may be a, is certainly a smarter movie and maybe a better movie. I'm not 100% sure on the latter, but I but it's definitely a smarter movie. So, um the thing the the thing about sequels is that sequels in some way have to either have to both recapitulate their predecessors and differentiate themselves from their predecessors. And so the, the usual way that they do so is by trying to do what their predecessors did or, or emulate significant elements of what their predecessors did, but on a bigger scale, you know, a bigger jump. You know, last time he jumped over a canyon, this time he's going to jump over an entire mine shaft or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, um, so um, Creep 2 ends up kind of in this in this familiar uh i'll call it a rut but it's not necessarily a criticism to say that that sequels have this tendency so the thing the thing about original creep that was the neat part about original creep that creep 2 doesn't have and can't emulate is creep 1 was really about getting to know the mark duplass character it was it was fundamentally you didn't even care really the who the guy behind the camera was you just wanted to watch Mark Duplass do his shtick. It was a Mark Duplass vehicle, you know, um, and and everything everything that was being done behind the camera and that was bouncing back and forth was just foil for Mark Duplass to to embody this very interesting and behaviorally complex character who you know has this great sense of menace and is very charismatic, et cetera, et cetera. So. That's that was the great thing about Creep One. That's why everybody wanted to watch Creep One. Everyone wanted to watch Creep One because the performance that Mark Duplass gave was so compelling, and the character that he embodied was such an interesting character. So, the problem with Creep Two is that Creep Two begins with us already knowing who the Mark Duplass character is. It might fill in some details on on the character. And it teases us at numerous points with the notion that maybe he's not exactly the kind of guy that we thought he was in the original Creep. But ultimately, it's just a tease. At the end of the day, he's exactly the same person that he was in the original Creep. He has exactly the same sorts of motivations. He's headed for exactly the same sorts of techniques and methods and ends. And so we just watch this play out in kind of slow motion. You know, we just watch the same, the same Mark Duplass character do his basically the same shtick on another person. So that, that was the first major uh, thing that I liked about Creep 1 better than Creep 2 is the, 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 the appealing part of Creep 1 was getting to know the Mark Duplass character. 
we already know him by the beginning of Creep 2. And so we're experiencing the Mark Duplass character, and that's nice because Mark Duplass is a nice actor, but um, but we're not getting to we're not getting to know him in the same way. He's already embodied for us, and they're just filling details in on him. So um, I I I want to completely uh, completely disagree with that. I mean, I, I I thought that the sequel allowed us to get to know Mark Duplass's character much better than in the first film. And let me maybe unpack a little bit of why that's the case. So in the first film, the appeal you're right is, I mean, at least for me, the appeal in the first film is something like, is this character just a, a Craigslist creep or is he a killer, right? And we get to know the answer to that at the end of the film. But we don't really learn that much about uh, Joseph, about Mark Duplass's character. It's gonna be hard to name him because he's Joseph in the first film and Aaron 2, <laughs> call him Aaron 2.0. I mean, it's called, we'll call him Duplass, right? Duplass's character um, in the first film, you know his actions, but you don't really get to know him. I feel like in the second film, uh, Antonio, there was more of a, in, uh, an, an intricacy, a kind of, um, I'm sorry, an intimacy in, in terms of who he was. There was some, I think there were some times that he actually wasn't lying. I feel like m almost all of Creep is a lie. It's a lie to uh, Aaron in order to uh, get close to him to make him another victim. So the things that you think you're getting to know about this character are sort of surface level. I mean, at the end of the day, you really just learn in Creep that he's a killer. You may learn a little bit more, but it's really at the end of the day, the the thing, the, the, the big surprise at the end, it's not really a surprise, but the big uh, payoff at the end is that he kills people, right? Not just, uh, uh, Aaron, but 38, I guess, other people. Um, and then in uh, in Creep 2, you learn a little bit more about the motivations. Like you get, if you assume that at certain points he's telling the truth, for example, when he's in the hot tub uh, and he's uh, and he's talking about, you know, the origin of how he, he killed his first person. And by the way, in that same sequence, how cool is this? Uh, that we learn the origin of where he says, oh my God. Remember that? I, I really harped on that in the first film is one of the scenes that hit me the most. Uh, it just fucking weirded me out the wrong way. In the very first creep, the first words out of Mark Duplass to uh, to uh, Patrick Bryce, we're just gonna use their real names because I'm gonna get so confused, is oh my God, oh my God, this is gonna be a good day. And we learned that. And I, I believed him. So I, I guess, Antonio, long story short, I feel like I got more truth out of Duplass's character in the second film. I learned more. And I think that was the goal of the second film was to go inward on Duplass's character. Like you already know that Duplass is a killer, right? So how do you enhance that? How do you change that? Well, you have to go. I mean, what Patrick Bryce did that I thought was smart is he went inward. He said, okay, let's change the entire focus of the sequel to now that you know that Mark Duplass is a killer, we got to do something completely different. Otherwise this sequel is going to suck. And so the brilliance of what they did was to think of something that's semi humorous, but also gives you more of, of Duplass. And that is let's go inward. Let's talk about like, you know, a guy who's struggling with being a, a midlife serial killer. Do you know what I mean? So you got more truth, I think, in the sequel to me than you did in the original. And there's maybe a bunch of scenes we could parse that out in, but I got more out of the sequel than the original. Are you saying you got more out of the original in terms of who Duplass was than in the sequel? Well, it's interesting that you had that reading of the film because I think there's I think there's basically there's there's basically two counterbalances that that separate your your perspective from mine on this. And that is that in the first film, um, you're, you're kind of um, superimposing a view that the Mark Duplass character is entirely a cipher, that basically nothing that he does in the film has any kind of, of um, sincere intention behind it. Um, and you're also, interestingly enough, 
reversing that assumption for creep two, namely that that you're interpreting the Mark Duplass character in creep two as having at least some percentage of his care of his, of his actions be transparent and sincere in a way that that they weren't for the first film. And I don't actually share either of those assumptions for the Mark Duplass character, which is why I read Creep, very, Creep and Creep 2 very differently than you did. In Creep 1, I read the Mark Duplass character as being... Okay, so in, in order to contextualize this, um, in, in DC Comics, the character of the Joker has all kinds of interesting stuff that's been written about his origin story and and one of the interesting one of, one of the interesting sort of facets to the Joker origin story is that um, in some in some canons um, every time that he's asked he'll tell he tells a slightly different version of the origin story and so the question is is there anything in the origin story that's true and the answer is probably there are some common elements that tend to that tend to be reflected. You know what I mean? But there are also, but they also differ wildly from each other in fundamental, you know, premise on occasion. And so you ask yourself how much of, how much of this is is the Joker? And the answer is you're getting a part of the Joker in what he decides to tell you, but what he's telling you is not necessarily ever actually going to map that much to reality. And so that's my reading of the Mark Duplass character front to back like completely throughout both movies. So you're getting some of what he really is throughout the throughout all of Creep. You're just getting it he's because he can't help himself. You know, he's in it's his nature for some of some of who he is to bleed over and he can't he can't resist it. And that's why you get all these red flags leading up to, you know, the 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 you know, murder. And in Creep 2, likewise, I think some of what he's saying is probably true. But I also think that it's all, again, in this completely self-serving paradigm where he kind of believes it all himself, but he tells you repeatedly that he's a pathological liar who, who just makes almost everything up. And so I think there's yeah. good reason to believe that his account is not necessarily factual, even if he's delivering it sincerely. And that's the nature of a lot of pathological liars is they sure. will lie believing what they're telling you while also intellectually knowing that it's not true. Do you think that there was... Oh, go ahead, Ben. I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, I, you know, I, I really agree with that. And I think it was really hard to try and parse out what was true and what wasn't in the original Creep. But there is one fundamental difference, I think, in Creep 2, and at least one reference point that we can kind of hold on to. And that's that original scene when you have a little bit of Mark Duplass's character when he's not on. You know what I mean? It's like he, he does that first kill... Um, which is which is fantastic, by the way. Just an amazing opening scene, just, just incredible. But you actually do see his sort of his disappointment and his lack of enjoyment out of that kill, and it really does seem like he's genuinely missing something. That there's there doesn't seem to be a driving factor there. And so when he does go into that and sort of elaborate on that in his conversations um, with Sarah. You know, I think there's a reason to believe at least some of that has the one maybe strain of truth that you can really hold on to, that he is looking for something, that he does feel a little bit lost and kind of like maybe that he's not getting the same thing out of it that he used to get. So the one thing I think I would hold on to and say this stuff is probably going to be the truth in, in what he's saying. Yes, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, I would also drag that back to Creep 1, and I would say that that his his loneliness and his desire for companionship are genuine like as far as they go you know what i mean he does actually want to meet somebody and have a certain amount of intimacy with them he also wants to kill them like that's part of the schema but but he actually does want to meet someone 
ha connect with them, have an intimacy with them, see an expression of their trust from them, because that's important. That's the ritualistic element to him of what he's going to do, you know, is, is he, he wants to do it to someone who has already expressed, you know, this, this kind of trust in him and this kind of confidence and has, and, and as he, as he points out in creep Two, you know, and, and has kind of deserved it, like has also set himself up to be too trusting in some, in some important way. Well, see, I didn't, I didn't read it as necessarily a trusting thing. I think he read it as they actually don't want to live because, uh, as he described with, Aaron, uh, he saw the axe on the stump, and he knew that that was going to be the way he was going to die. He knew that that was going to be the weapon used, and he still didn't run away, so he was like, I'm just doing the thing they, they know is going to happen, and, and they're happy to accept it. Like, he actually thinks that they're wanting to die. I don't think he necessarily thinks he's doing something horrible to them. I think he actually thinks that, along with their intimacy and friendship, there's supposed to also be this... I'm I'm helping you get to your end. And that and that is that is mimicked by the fact that he asks Sarah to kill him later because they've gotten so close. Right? Um that's that's really interesting. And as, Antonio, let me ask you maybe this will clarify it. Um did you think there was less duplicity in the second film? Well, I'm going to I'm going to coin a phrase here tonight. Duplicity and duplicity. We've we've coined that here tonight, folks. Duplicity. Did you think yeah, do yeah, duplicity and duplicity. Do you feel like there was more of that, or le like, did you feel like there was less of that in the second film? Do you feel like he's being more raw and more honest as a as a villain, as a as a character in the second film? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I I think my my gut level says probably he was pr probably you do get to see a little more of the real Mark Duplass character in in the second film just because of the nature of it. You know, he he sort of deliberately sets it up as a confession in a, as a confessional yeah. sort of thing. And, and, you know, as serial killers tend to do, there is, there is a kind of a bragging or a trophy element to it. And so there's reason to believe that at least some of this, he does want the, the, the broader people to know. Um, but, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's, it's as, as we've all, I guess, kind of agreed, it's really difficult to, to, to separate, you know, the, the truths that are true about him from the fictions that he's come to believe about himself. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of, I, you know, that's kind of a, a reflection of a human problem as well. Um, and like I said, that's why, I, that's why I like the, the first one better is because you are you're watching the whole first one to try and see if there is anything real like you realize the du the duplicity immediately and you're watching the whole movie to try and see if there's going to be anything anything more than the duplicity or if there's any grain of truth in there and it's all just smoke and mirrors and that's and that's the that's the powerful sort of pull of the first one and that that brings up my other big criticism of of creep 2 which i didn't the, the thing i liked about creep 1 is um, I don't know for the rest of you, you said something Noah earlier that made me think it might be otherwise. Uh, but, um, but I'm assuming that most of us went into creep one with the idea that the guy was going to get killed at the end. Like I'm, I'm assuming that it was not a surprise to really any of us that, that creep one ended with the dude getting offed. Um, and so, so the form, the, the conclusion is kind of a foregone thing. And so the form of it was, was sort of an interesting setup. So the ending was sort of foregone. There wasn't really a question of whether it was good or not. It was because you knew the dude was going to, was going to get killed. It was all about the journey. You know, that was what, what made creep, creep good. The thing about creep too is 
the ending is kind of shitty. Like it, it's it's a it's an okay. I understand why they wrote the ending that way, and it's clever from a certain point of view. But especially compared with the way that Creep One had a had wrapped up in a very solid kind of way, like it might have wrapped up unbelievably as far from a psychological perspective, but narratively, it had a good snappy, snappy way to end. And Creep 2, like, he stabs himself, apparently actually stabs himself, and then, like, chases her down through the woods. Like, it, it becomes so unbelievable and strained in, like, yeah. 30 seconds that it, it really drags the whole movie down. I, I uh, before we uh, have someone else, I know Ben, Ben shaking his head. I actually agree. I actually agree with Antonio. My, my only criticism of the film was the ending. Um, the, the amount that he stabs himself, the fact that he, beat, he seemingly beats her to a pulp. That's what it looks like. And then she comes back, whacks him with a shovel. It looks like his head fucking flies off. I mean, one of them, one of them's out, right, forever. It's what it seemed to me. And then at the end, you know, he's he's he, I, I seemingly stalking her again. I, it didn't have the same oomph as the end of of Creep. The same like little. I mean, even even when he's doing this in in the middle of Creep two, he's going, he's shh, Sarah, shh. That did more for me than the end of Creep two. Do you know what I mean? It had more power in it. Just the ending of Creep one was so much more, I don't know, uh, creepy. <laughs> uh, Cre Creep two strained my ability to believe that that was happening. Um, yeah, I, I I would have actually loved for them to just died in the grave. Like if it would have ended with them, you know what I mean, dying in the grave together. I would have been like, Juliet. that would have been. I I would have. Yeah, yeah there are about four points in that ending where you could have just cut to black credits, and it would have been about. 30 times better than it actually went. But yeah. the thing is, it's meant to be a trilogy. And, uh, yep. Yep. and and here's the thing. We have to remember this is a horror movie. In horror movies, the killer never fucking dies. And um, also, stomach wounds, uh, if you know where to hit, are not going to kill you. And I think he knew where he was hitting. Um, I think he was doing it to shock Sarah, to scare her, because We've she all was seen never Scream. scared. Yep. She was never, ever, ever scared and he wanted to scare her and here's the thing when it comes to stomach wounds weird thing i know uh <laughs> if you hit certain areas yeah the stomach acid could come out and and slowly erode certain things but you have you know a good six seven eight hours before it's going to really start to fuck fuck you up it's going to be about the blood coming out that's going to be the problem he could have easily done that in real life um, he probably would have gotten dizzy which they did show with him stumbling around on the ground so i don't think they were completely off with what would happen if he did actually stab himself in the gut. If he knew how to stab himself in the gut, which someone as fucked up as that character would probably know not only where to stab himself in the gut, but probably know firsthand based off of his own stabbing of other people, which he's done, what do, what do we know, like 38, 39 times. So, um, and in fact, I think his first, well, maybe it wasn't his first kill, but the first one he talked about was at a bar where he cut somebody open and let their guts out and everything. I, I would say he's pretty aware of how to stab in a gut at this point so um I feel, I feel I, i'm like, gonna say it's plausible in my mind i feel like it's plausible i feel like ben's gonna stab us right now if we don't let him talk go ahead ben only with my eyes um because i'm not a <laughs> um no i think that's absolutely insane um share is absolutely like, right with the, with, the, with the physical aspect you know it's plausible that he wouldn't just die or bleed out immediately from those injuries that's that's totally fine in terms of narrative sense i think it makes Total sense, because like if, if you believe at all um, that his origin story that he tells is anywhere near accurate, that kind of thing that you see, like if you study kind of like serial killers and psychopaths at all, their MO tends to stem from some single traumatic event that, that happened to them that leaves such an impact 
that they drag that out and replay that fantasy over and over and over again. And if you're going to say, okay, well, he's trying to build somebody up to this point where he's going to push them and shock them, and maybe he, he finds this one person that sort of meets that challenge and sort of responds in a way that, you know, that, that sort of meets him step to step, then, you know, he gets to this point where he can fulfill that fantasy and tries to play out this fi final struggle for life. You know, honestly, I'm, it sounds like from his story that he never felt more alive than when somebody was trying to kill him and he was able to overcome that. So one, I think it would be totally believable for him to try and share that with somebody. And two, just from a historical sort of like serial killer perspective, that's exactly what they do. They try to replay that fantasy out in their kills. Yeah, I agree with Ben. Um, there's, there are a couple things that um, I, I want to respond to. Is first is that I do, I mean, I think Shaver was being a little uh, tongue-in-cheek when she called it a rom-com at the beginning, but I do think there are 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 rom-com elements to this like i think that they there is a genuine relationship that gets formed here um and i think that i, I think there's far less duplicity in uh in creep 2 than there is in creep i think you actually get to know the the mark duplass character um and i think there are moments i can go back and watch creep and say Probably none of that actually happened, but I can go back and watch Creep 2 and say I think that especially the story with the the guy and the strangling at the end like that I, I think that That probably did happen And I think there are a few other things that probably are factual truth and vis-a-vis -vis the ending I, I agree with Ben. I think that I don't think the ending ruins the film or or makes it 40 times better worse whatever i think that the i think the ending i would have liked to see the struggle between sarah and duplass on camera i i wish that they hadn't just done that all in the woods and we just hear her grunts um but aside from that i i really liked the ending um and i really liked the the sequel tweet tease that happens at the end. So I think I, I'm I'm basically uh, picking up what Ben's laying down and saying that I it, the end really did work for me because I if you read this as a a genuine connection that got formed, then the end makes a lot more sense. But if you read this as I think you're reading in Antonio. Um, where this is uh that the 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 action of creep two is just as duplicitous as the action of creep one, then I I certainly understand your complaints. Well, another thing to another thing to note about the ending is um that that it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too. And and vis-a-vis -vis the the some earlier scenes in the movie. So like for example um, Mar the Mark Duplass character expresses a sort of a suicidiality when he, you know, asks asks to have his head cut off first and then makes an apparent attempt to hang himself. But we're later sort of told that this was duplicity, that he wasn't really exactly trying to die there, you know what I mean? That, that, that he was fairly confident that she would not decapitate him. And when he hanged himself, he had a harness on, or he, he at least told her that he, later that he had had a harness on. 
And I don't think we have a reason to doubt that. I think he probably did. Um, so, so he fake hanged himself. And so what this suggests is that his suicidiality is, is an act, right? And so in, in keeping in line with this, what you would expect at the final scene is that when he stabs himself or whatever, it turns out to be ketchup or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it turns out that he didn't actually stab himself after all. And he was just waiting for her to come check it out and then pounce on her. But the problem is that the movie once actually wants us to have the Mark Duplass character be somewhat really suicidal. And so he has to actually stab her, but then he also has to get the upper hand in order for the narrative to work out in the way that they also want it to work out. So it, it kind of it kind of heavily telegraphs this element, this the, 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 this this duplicitous aspect to his suicidal element for a significant part of the movie where such that we think that it's such that it makes us think that he's just going to pull one big gag here. And then it actually turns out that he does kill himself just like we would have thought if he were being honest. And so it's kind of, it's, it's sort of a schizophrenic design decision that, that, that kind of unsuccessfully splits the baby and leads to this kind of weird, the kind of weird ending that we end up with where he, you know, mutilates himself and then he stabs her to death. And then we have two people who really should have been, you know, we, we assume that this dude, if he really was trying to kill himself and not simply wound himself, that, that he probably would do the job right, given his track record. And similarly, when he's killing her, you'd think that he would do his job right, given his track record. And so the fact that we end up with two people who should be dead and neither of them are even even look like they have a scratch on them in the in the after we get the cut that it stretches the credulity of the movie considerably, which was, of course, one of the problems with the, the original movie was precisely that it takes a couple of these really logical leaps that that kind of stretch your your ability to to stick with it. I'm curious, Antonio, how you um, how you look at the fact that um, when he stabs himself, uh, seemingly kills Sarah, throws her into the pit, and then lies there, I think nothing, there's no event that precedes what happens next. He basically comes up and says, nope, not today. And that seems kind of like in line with maybe what you're saying, his, uh, just, we're going to coin this, fuck it, duplicity, his duplicity uh, throughout the film, that it's, it's nope, it, it, it goes it, it goes against that. Um, you know, that, that sort of suicide emphasis that he, he actually kind of got what he wanted, right? And maybe I missed this. I mean, I, I feel like he, uh, you know, she fought a little bit, but he, he rocked her world, threw her in the grave, stabbed himself. He could have just stayed there for an hour, bled out, died, but he stopped. He got up and he's like, no, I'm good. Not today. Just kidding, Sarah. And I think that that goes in line with kind of his, the, the duplicity of his character, right? So with that, I feel like that goes kind of against what you're saying that there's this, well, there's this duplicity that, that, that sort of lands around suicidality. And then there's this, you know, like maybe he was just bullshitting all along. Right. Well, well but if he was, well, I, he wouldn't have stabbed himself is what I'm trying to say. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Shay was right. Maybe he knew where to stab himself, how to stab himself. Maybe he knew that it wasn't going to be the, uh, the end at, at all. If that, that that's possible, but if that's the case, then the movie did a bad job of telegraphing that. In other words, it did a good job of setting up that it's going to be du duplicitous, and then it did a very bad job of actually showing us how it was duplicitous when it when it was, which uh, would be the movie's fault. So I here's think... the here's the problem, guys. You're not considering the fact that he even talked about what the first situation was that built up to this. His fetish is having his life on the line, along with 
being able to kill the person at the end. That's his fucking fetish. That's the thing that got him off in the original thing. And that's mm. the thing that yeah. was not enough for him when he killed the dude with the box. That wasn't, it didn't do it for him. He leans his arm up and he's like, ah, oh, just doesn't have that same, oomph. you know, I got to feel like I'm a little threatened here. Yeah, that's interesting. So he, he needs that threat. And that was what Sarah brought back. She was jumping out and doing jump scares more than he was. She was doing all the things to make him feel on edge. And so he started doing things like, yeah, chop my head off with an axe. That was totally a fetish thing. Like, if you've ever watched any kind of porn, you'll know what was happening here. Like, this is exact. He was getting off on yeah, this. Yeah, head chopping porn. We've all been there. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not that specific fetish. But, you know, like, this is how fetishes work. He's trying to act out a fetish. He didn't think she would actually do it, but he was trying to act this stuff out because it's fun. Like, he gets off on it. Um, I, I don't know whether I can follow up the porn comment um, too much, but uh, I guess, so I, I, think, I think we're actually, we're looking at, at this, this scene, I think, from too high of a, a lens. I think there are multiple beats to the final scene. So he takes her out there with this odd idea that... So in my reading of the film, there is a, a type of intimacy that has been formed and that the Duplass character believes that the ultimate culmination of this intimacy is death together. And he takes her out there with this fantasy that they will do this combined suicide pact and it's going to be Romeo and Juliet beautiful, and that there will also be this, this um, emotional catharsis to both of their deaths. He begins by enacting that, perhaps, um, and I agree with Shayra that he knows where to stab himself, and that is probably exactly where you would stab yourself if you didn't want to die. So he takes the first move, where I'm like, yes, I'm going to start to kill myself. Now you do the same thing. She refuses drop, uh, refuses to stab him, um, refuses to take part in this thing, starts to run away. He catches her. I don't think he takes the knife with him. I think he beats her, beats her unconscious, drags, him drags her back to the grave, throws her in, realizes that, he can't have the romantic culmination um, or consummation, one might think. Talk, uh, talks to the camera about how today is not going to be the day to die, not because of the duplicity vis-a-vis -vis uh, his suicidal ideation, but rather because she refused to play the game with him. She refused to be the willing victim, the willing Juliet. And because she refuses, she fucking dies, and he lives looking for the next one. She, of course, wakes up, slaps him in the back of the head with a, a shovel, and then runs away. And then he wants to uh, reconnect by stalking her. So I think that we're, as we're analyzing this, I think we're analyzing it from a bird's eye level when I think a beat-by-beat -beat analysis of his motivations in this uh, in this in in this scene, reveal a much more nuanced um, interaction of their relationship, uh, and therefore I don't think that we can 
conclude that this is the ultimate duplicity or not the ultimate duplicity. I think there are beats in the scene in which it's in which he's making conscious decisions about the things that he wants. Fucking psychopaths make it so hard to understand them. God damn. Well, fucking human beings make it so yeah. hard to understand them. And, you know, as as much as psychopaths certainly um certainly have their their problems um but they they have not reduced them uh reduced themselves to the point where they are non-human uh he's got he's got motivations just like the rest of us do except his are fucking crazier than the rest of us hopefully um yeah, so that's that's why that's I that's why I think that there's some things that we're saying that aren't exactly fully understanding the final scene here. Go go ahead. Uh maybe maybe we can I, I feel like there's a question that depending on how we answer it can maybe help elucidate um some of the some of the things we've been dancing around. So let me and I'll start with Jim since he he uh answered last. When did you guys think that Mark Duplass's character decided to kill Sarah? at one point in the film? Do you think it was from the very beginning? Do you think there was a particular scene in the film? Do you like, where do you, where, where do you, where can you, what's the closest part you can pinpoint his decision to kill Sarah? When she drops the knife um, in the final scene, that's when he knows that she's gonna, that he's gonna kill her. Um, that's, that's when it becomes, instead of co-suicide, it becomes a murder in, in my reading of Duplass's uh, uh, activities. I think it's uh, as, as soon as he says that he's a serial killer and she doesn't walk out of the room. Ah. Yeah, I, I think he changed his mind multiple times throughout the film. And I think it's pretty obvious when he did. Um, it's pretty obvious that he kept on like, oh, I'm gonna kill her. Oh. You're interesting. And yeah, kind of cat and mouse. Oh, I'm going to kill you. Oh, you're going to do that. Like, he kept adjusting, and you could see him adjusting. And the thing is, he actually talks about this when he talks about the journalist and the murderer. Um, he's calling her out because he's believing that she's not, she's not the one who's truthful. She's the one who's, uh, <laughs> what is the word you guys are saying now? <laughs> Duplicitous. Du Duplicitous. Duplicitous. <laughs> But, like, he sees them as the ones who are, who are lying. And here's the thing. I actually, maybe I'm a psychopath. This is entirely possible at this, at this point. Um, I actually understand his perspective more than other, the Aaron or Sarah. Um, he sees them as the one that are two-faced. They're coming into a situation where they should obviously be, be saying, fuck this shit, you're a fucking psycho, what the fuck is wrong with you? And instead they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is fine, this is great. Yeah, I'm totally fine with this. You're a fucking lying sack of shit. And he's like, what the fuck are you up to, you piece of shit? They're the liars. Yeah, that's true, because he always says, he says something like, look, um, I've always, no matter what, I've always, I've always been truth, I always tell the truth, right? Something like that, like, I don't lie or something. Or no, it wasn't I don't lie, it was I always, I'm always truthful, like with my, I just said something like that, right? So he, he, at least he likes to think that he values it. I never lie. Was yeah, I never lie. The... Yeah. He does spread the truth out, and he's okay with that. There's, there's some truth to everything he does, and that's what he tries to um, paint himself as. That's why he's actually better than them. That's why they're all pieces of shit, because they actually are straight up lying, and it's that whole nice guy act. You know, you hear these guys that are like, I'm the nice guy. I'm the nice guy. No, you're not. 
you're lying right now. You're yeah. you're clearly only you're only being friends with me because you're wanting to fuck me. I can see right through your fucking ruse. Shut the fuck up, you lying sack of shit. It's the same thing, but he's seeing it as you're acting like I'm normal and you know I'm not. You know you should be running for the hills. You know that this is you you have the red flags going up and you're still going for this, so you must want to die. And the only thing I can do is help satisfy whatever craving that you have for your death. And um, honestly, this just reflects on our society today. I, I can't tell you how many times I see people like making jokes about how they can't wait for their death, but they just don't have the balls to do it. So he he helps with that a little. He's doing a service to the world, and he actually believes that. He actually believes he is doing a service. And you see that much more with Sarah's character because she's the most lying of them all. He's, she says he's, she knows it. He's like a cute Kevorkian. Yeah. That's, that's how it is. Yeah. And, and he even mentions this when he's laying on the coffee table with her holding the axe. He's like, oh, this is just uh, assisted suicide. It's, it's great. Just think of it like a cartoon. It's fun. And she's just like, no, I can't do this. And he's like, oh, mm, there's a problem here. You don't, you don't understand the importance of my principles, my values. And that's when she lost something. You know, when she's putting on her boots and getting ready to go. That's when he goes into his little bit of a half lie. So you think he kind of? So you think he kind of jumps back and forth? Uh, Absolutely. The okay. Uh, but the, the, it it officially kicks in when she's putting on the boots. He knew at that point she wasn't quite on the level with him. Yeah. Because he starts getting lying a little bit. He's like, "Oh, I'm not really a killer, right?" They, they're having that whole conversation where he's yep. he ends up saying that he's not a, actually a killer. So yeah, it's uh that's the obvious point where she turned back into our original OG Patrick Bryce era. <laughs> what about you, Ben? When do you think, uh, when do you think the, it was going to, it was going to go down? Right. Well, I think it really kind of goes back to that old Albert natural song, Sarah loves her Jersey fruit. Because if you think that back that to the, um, the, uh, the hot tub scene, he's all like, you know, Sarah loves her juicy fruit and Aaron loves to kill. I don't think it's like a big decision that he has to make. I think it's a desire that's always there. And that it's kind of like sort of the driving force in the relationships that he tries to build with the people that he seeks out on Craigslist. So um, I'm pretty sure that he always planned to to try to kill her. Um, but I think the plan really comes down to a struggle. And so it's not really like, man, I'm, I'm going to murder this person. It's that I'm going to engage in this fight with this, this individual or this conflict that is probably going to end in their death. But it really just ties back into that fetish thing, right? So I don't think there was any point during the course of the film where he was like, no, this person is going to live and I'm not going to attack her. I'm not going to continue playing this game. I think it was always there. What, uh, before I give my answer, I want to kind of, I mean, we all have vastly different answers. And I think that's a testament to how well this was written, maybe, or, or acted. I, I think that we're all kind of, we're all on very different pages about when... The, the, the duplicity of this character. I'm just going to use that all night. Like, I, we're, we're all kind of saying different things. I mean, I, I want to agree with Ben. I kind of, I'm somewhere in between Ben and Shara. I mean, I <clears throat> I want to say there were times where maybe I could see Duplass kind of going both ways. But I think the scene that did it is when Sarah uh, got close to him, got intimate with him, and he said, leave, Sarah. I, I actually believed him when he said, look, take your money and go, leave. This is going to be a bad night. Go. I think if Sarah would have just ran her ass out of there, he would have let her go. I, I, I bought that. I, but again, I, go back to the original creep. I was Patrick Bryce all the way to the end. I would have bought everything that Duplass. I would have died. I would have had an axe in my head. We already talked about this. I'm, I'm very, that's just my personality. But I, I did. I, I, that was the point where I feel like up until that point, um, he was honest. I won't kill you in 24 hours. You're good. 
Like, and it, because it's a tool for him, right? Like not, and I, I think his his justification is adequate. It, it makes sense. Like killing her would be uh, uh, would be harmful for him, for his mental well being, for him to learn to get better as a serial killer, to 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 grow, to get through this rut that he's in. So I think there's there's a kind of utility to that. So I believed him when he said he wasn't going to kill her for 24 hours, and then when he hit that point, right? When he uh, uh, the, the whole Coppola thing. Uh, after that point, and he's in he's in the the tub and and Sarah loves her juicy fruit comes on that's the turning point for me i feel like when she got in the tub put her arms around him he got close to her and i think that that put a target on her back getting close to her like that um it, it was that kind of intimacy that made it a little a little more tricky a little more tricky um what's really interesting was the scene where he says where they're playing pool i think it's right after that um and uh, he says, well, you know, I, I wouldn't kill you, be counterproductive. And she said, well, you wouldn't kill me for 24 hours. She clarifies. And he says, now, why would you go say something like that? Right? What did you guys think that was about? Yeah, he actually says, um, now, why would you go make trouble for yourself like that? Yeah, yeah. What was that about? What did you, what did you guys think of that? Like, why would he say that? Maybe uh, he had forgotten that he had said it. And then when she mentioned it, he was like, oh, yeah, I have a, I have a loophole. Hmm. Well, his his mo is that he looks for the death wish in his target, and I'm that's ah, yes, and so that's so that's where he's he's l trying to find the death wish. That's and of true. Course, oh. And of course, what he should have said is you know you know I'm just being careful here. That is what you said, and you knew that's what you said. You 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 know it was not it was not uh, carelessness that made you rephrase it the way that you did. Oh, that's fucking brilliant. That's brilliant. I that um, that makes total sense. But I actually have a question for you guys that's that that is going to be the real serious question on all our minds right now. And that is, is Mark Duplass, or I guess is the Mark Duplass character a virgin? I, I got to say, I, I got to say no. I would say no, but I will say this. It's entirely possible that all of his sexual experiences happened after facts. I don't know. I could see the character uh, being in some necrophilia type shit, especially since he talked about laying in a grave with this dead person and, and how he takes in their soul. I, I would not be surprised if he's fucked every single one of his victims. If that came out as a, a part of his persona, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm so shocked. <laughs> like, Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but of course we do see, the, uh, like he never fucks the Patrick Bryce character and he sort of runs away after he axes him in the head. I actually do think he is a virgin. And I think that, I like, you, you're asking a version of the question that I've been wanting to ask as well, is does Mark Duplass's character at any point throughout the, the course of this film fall in love with Sarah? Because I think the answer is yes. And I also think that this is the first time that he's had any sort of intimate, personal, re quote unquote real, uh, relationship with another human being. Um, but that's, that's where I would fall uh, in that. So I think you're asking the question similar to the question that's been plaguing me throughout this is, do you think that he's in love with her or a, an approximation thereof? And, and I would say, yes, he's a virgin. And yes, this is, this is a love type type of relationship fucked up, but a love type relationship. I just want to throw out there when we were watching this, uh, I was watching it with my 14-year-old daughter and her 13-year-old guy friend, and uh, he heard 
the characters say the whole I've never been kissed thing, and he's like, that's a line. That is a line. There's no way. The, that is a line he's trying to get, he's trying to get her to kiss him, and she does. And so, uh, when a 13-year-old boy says that's a line, <laughs> it's probably a fucking line. So, I, I'm not buying that he never kissed a girl. I don't know about sex, but he's, he's kissed. What do you, what do you think, Ben? Dude, I don't even know. I mean, I, I really think that like sex is probably tied up in this fantasy somewhere. And so even if it's not with a live person, I mean, there's been some some definitely going on, you know, but it, I mean, the rest of it's just speculation. I have yeah. No yeah, 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 I, I, I but but it, but how you answer that, I think, is important. Antonio's probably going to catch this out in a minute. I think how you how you answer that is important for other things in the film. I will just add really quickly before Antonio hops in that I actually think he I felt more of a, this is going to sound strange, I felt more of like a love connection between him and Bryce, Patrick Bryce's character, than I did with him and Sarah. Uh, and maybe maybe that goes to the first film. But, uh, I, dude, just and, think and of the end. The opening, the opening also of the movie has a very homoerotic undertone. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, no. totally. Totally. Well, yeah. the, the end. He's like, whatever we talked about at the end, he's like beating off to the end of, the, of his own film at the end. Of, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I definitely f feel like I definitely would disagree with Jim that um, that he fell in love with Sarah. What I would say is that that and and again, you have to remember that you know psychopathy thinks in very very sort of predatory and instrumental terms for the most part. So so Sarah doesn't really have an an, an identity to a psychopath. She's just it, 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 she's just a collection of features, right? That that have a particular interest until they don't anymore, and that's. That's how that that's how psychopathy works. And so um, the reason Sarah lasts so long in this particular uh, in this particular movie, in this particular setting is because she be, because she actively tries to serve as Mark Duplass's foil. You know, she actively she tries she rounds on him and tries to scare him whenever she can. She's re resolutely stone faced when he tries to scare her. Um, she she walks over and provokes him and so on and and you know we get an insight into her character as well because we look at her and she's in the bathroom and, and she basically explicitly says and this is one of the things that that creep two did intelligently that that did address the problems of creep one and that is she at one point looks into the camera and says something to the effect of of there are a bunch of red flags here and I'm just going to be an irrational impulsive person because that's the way people are sometimes and while that's still stupid and we can still like condemn her and go, oh God, why are you doing that? That's so dumb. Don't do that. You know, while that's true, we can emotionally connect to that in a way that's not true if she just does a bunch of dumb things. And so that was one of the core flaws of the first one was, you know, the, the person behind the camera is doing all kinds of dumb things. And you know, to, to, to make it believable enough doesn't take that much as, as Creep 2 demonstrates. All it takes is just the dude at one point saying, yeah, I'm having the same thoughts as you're having, viewer, but I'm a different personality that is a little bit dumber than you, and so I'm going to do a dumb thing here. But I, but, but, but I acknowledge the same cues that you're getting. The same cues that you're getting, I'm feeling, so you don't have to feel like you're disconnected from me emotionally as a character but I'm a different personality, so I'm going to do a different thing than you would in this situation. And that's what that scene in Creep 2 does so brilliantly. 
Let me just say that I, I think in Creep 1, yeah, I mean, yes, uh, calling that kind of thing sort of dumb or like at least they're purposely just sort of leaving themselves open and trusting. Um, I think there's a fundamental difference between that and the scene that we see in Creep 2 where Sarah's like, I'm getting all these red flags. I should get the hell out of here. And then she makes a conscious choice and says, yes, I know this is sort of bad, but I'm going to do this anyway. And I don't think that's for a dumb reason. I don't think it's because she just wants to be overly trusting and open. I think it's because she's trying to prey on that from him. I think she sees the possibility for like content and for her own fantasy fulfillment and sort of like capturing some weird, creepy thing, something special and something unique about human nature on film. I think the only reason that she's like, I'm going to go ahead and go, go along with this is because she is so much like him and because she's trying to prey on his personality traits as well. Now um, here's a really, here's a really, this raises actually a really interesting ethical question, Ben, because, because um, you can argue, I think very plausibly that it's precisely because of the sort of predatory and psychopathic traits that Sarah shares in common with the Mark Duplass character that she's ultimately able to survive the entire thing that, you know, despite the fact that, that, you know, she ends up on the edge a bunch of times, she never actually gets killed. And even when shit goes down, she's ultimately able to pull it out in the end. And, and it's arguable that that's precisely because she foiled when she foiled and, you know, doubled down when she doubled down and she might've survived much less time had she not. And so that raises an interesting question for us from a moral perspective, which is, you know, what is this movie trying to say to us morally? And that is, and, and, and so that raises the interesting question of, is this movie saying that, that to some extent we need to, we need to adopt these wolf-like, you know, to, to be referential to the movie, to adopt these wolf-like sort of characteristics um, in order to properly prevail against the evil forces that, that confront us? Do we have to, in, to some extent, foil the evil, become it, empathize with it, and then jump back into its face in order to overcome it? Do we have to look into the abyss? I, I would actually say it's more of wearing a mask. Um, he wears a mask when he does the peach fuzz uh, thing, and when he's going on the attack, when he killed Aaron on the, on the park bench. But she is also wearing a mask. Throughout the whole entire thing, she's full of shit. She's wearing a mask, and we all do this in life. We all wear masks. Um, when I took a very basic anthropology class, we talked about, like, if something happens to you, you're going to tell a different story, whether it's your grandma, whether it's your friend, whether it's, like, you're going to tell the story differently depending on the audience. Um, so you're always wearing somewhat of a mask in how you tell stories, and there may be truth to every single way that you tell the story, but you're probably not going to go into certain details with grandma that you would with your best friend. And, um, and that's what this whole entire character that Mark Duplass plays, that's what his whole entire character is trying to bring out of everybody. They're all full of shit. They're all lying in some way. They're all wearing a mask. And his just happens to be a wolf mask named Peach Fuzz. But, uh, <laughs> and he has a fun little ditty, you know, that he whistles before he murders people, of course. But, uh, you know, it's, it's his way of saying, hey, we're all monsters here. And that is exactly what all monsters are in horror movies. We know that that is what a monster always represents. It always represents us. Zombies represent us. Vampires represent us. They're all us. And so it's he's just acting as Peach Fuzz the monster and exposing how we're all monsters. We all wear masks. We're all lying sacks of shit. And you have to try to figure out what truth you want to take from it all. And it may not even be accurate. And, you know, when he talks about the whole Jesus, you know, he... he puts himself in a very Jesus kind of a position. It's showing, even with the Jesus story, there's a lot of 
truthiness slash fan fiction-y shit that's going on even with the Gospels. So it, it it's just exposing how truth is just how you want to perceive it. And what are you going to take from that when you talk to anybody or when you interact with any other person? Um, and I think that's what makes this one of the most fantastic horror slash rom-com movies <laughs> that I've ever seen because, hey, romance, where are we the most mask wearing, right? Uh, when do we always lie it's on our first dates? It's, oh yeah, I happen to have this job, but you try to make it seem so much cooler than it actually is. So I just see it, layers of that in humanity and I, I kind of understand why peach fuzz, peach fuzz exists to expose us in that way. Um, if I if I could, I want to, uh, especially because we're talking about the peach fuzz mask, if we could just take a throwback to our original creep discussion. And I think whenever we can talk about Mark Duplass's character wearing the peach fuzz mask, that's sort of a way for him to reveal more about himself. So it's kind of like he's more himself when he's wearing the mask, and that, that's kind of an interesting relationship there. Um, but one thing I definitely want to say, like, I, I want to speak to Antonio's point about the moral considerations here, but if I could just... Uh, product plug for a second. Um, this episode brought to you by uh, Francis Ford Coppola Wine. Um, go out and buy yourself a Coppola. Um, all right, so shall we stare into the abyss? All right. Not an uh, official endorsement, but yet. <laughs> yeah, we get like a cease and desist from Coppola. Like, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> for legal reasons, <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola has not actually uh, sponsored this podcast, but free plug for Francis Ford Coppola. What's talking about my wine on your show? <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, the moral considerations there. All right, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I, I would definitely say that's probably one of those situations where it's like those who know don't speak and those who speak don't know because if you have that sort of mentality and you can kind of separate yourself, right? So I, I think all, all, all people are kind of tied in by this web of empathy that we sort of have. It helps us to understand each other and connect with each other. Even if we can't directly have a connection to what's in each other's minds and hearts, I think we can sort of have that illusion in, in a way that is productive and beneficial to each of us because you know, we do somehow see ourselves in other people. And even if it's not that we see ourselves, we see sort of like these common identities that we can kind of understand and connect with. And therefore, you know, we feel like we, we shouldn't treat other people as, as, you know, as lesser than ourselves. And, and so that sort of like plays into, I think, a lot of moral systems, because I think the heart of many moral systems is to, is to be self-sacrificing. But if, if we talk about, okay, so is it more beneficial from a moral standpoint? I don't, I don't think it is but it might be more beneficial to a personal standpoint if you're able to engage in that kind of conversation and that em empathic conversation, but be disconnected from it enough to sort of use it to your own benefit. And I think I need to be really careful about this because I I'm pretty sure like some of the people from my work have started to like watch these podcasts. Um, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, man, like, you know, I think, uh, you know, when you said look into the abyss, I think that's, that's incredibly apropos because that gets into a sort of a Nietzsche and Overman kind of thing, right? Because like unhinging yourself from that sort of sloven moral where you have to sacrifice yourself for others, you know, I, I think that definitely has a lot of individual sort of selfish benefit. And I think that's why you see all of these articles and these studies where you have like these high powered sort of like CEO individuals who have psychopathic tendencies because it does give you a sort of personal advantage. I think I think all three of you have hit the nail on the head, and I think you've all sort of I, I think you've answered Antonio's question to me. Let me kind of explain why, right? So the question is, what what sort of moral is this film trying to convey? And so Shara says, well, 
I, I, let's take a step back. I think it's about masks, but I think that that is kind of an answer, right? Because I think what essentially the film is, is saying, and Ben, you may have just described this in a way that's a little more uh, adequate than what I'm about to say, but it's almost like Sarah is the film's way of saying that when you realize you're wearing a mask, the deeper you get into that, you have this ability to empathize with everyone else who has a mask on too. It's like you're you're able to sort of see yourself. You're 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 self-aware in a sense that you're going. You're staring into the abyss, but you know you're staring into the abyss. You're cognizant of it. It's a sort of meta step back at who you are as you're going through this process. And by that, you're learning. You're empathizing. So she gets to see. I think. I think this goes back to my original point that you actually get to see more of Duplass in this film precisely because she pursues that mask throughout the the, the course of this film. And I don't think you get that much in the first film. I don't think Bryce is really, I mean, we could argue maybe he's wearing a mask because he wants money and he's doing this for a film perspective, but it's really pushed in the second film, right? So so I I, I think if there's any sort of moral pushed in the film, it, it's not so much that you, you're, you know, uh, that we need to dance on the extremities of, of, uh, um, of of what's what's morally good or or, or what's morally bad, right? I, I don't think it's necessarily saying that to understand it, you need to be you need to yourself be, get close to being a serial killer. I think it's the accepting of the fact that we do all wear masks, and the realization of that being a tool to see other people for who they really they really are. And in this case, it's just, she shit honestly, out of luck because she picked the wrong she picked the wrong guy. Honestly, and I, and I suppose this makes sense given the given that the film is has this sort of found footage, you know, sort of unreliable narrator kind of, of vehicle. Um, but but it has a, a very postmodern element to it in in that in the in its moral sensibility. In that, it kind of pushes the notion that everybody's everybody as you you know aptly put it, Noah, that everybody's wearing a mask, and. More than that, I think it kind of reduces it, it reduces uh, human interaction to ultimately sort of how to put it like a giant poker game, like the highest stakes poker game, where where everyone is bluffing all the time, and you know, ev and and everybody's hand is really empty at the end of the day, but everyone is trying to out bluff each other, and the person who loses is the person who blinks. And I think that the the movie emphasizes that that blinking in in this sort of uh, context is bad. That 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 the way to to master the social interaction is is to just keep doubling down on your mask, keep doubling down on your mask, keep doubling down on your mask until the other guy blinks first. Because mm -hmm. because it's it, it's precisely you know when Mark Duplass is stabbing himself, it's precisely Sarah running away that ultimately gets her in some kind of trouble. If she had just jumped him and just stabbed the shit out of him, that would have been the end of that. And similarly, the Mark Duplass character not finishing her off, kind of getting complacent, you know, going up in front of the camera and like pontificating and shit like that. That was his, that he blinked, you know, he, he was like, all right, now on to the next thing. And because he, because he didn't keep doubling down on the viciousness of his identity, he was able to be compromised and, and taken advantage of. So I think I think I like Jim I think Jim wanted to say something real quick before he does. I just on the on the topic of doubling down. I mean I think it's pretty apparent we all do that. I'm actually for so just to, personally I'm actually a a black woman. I know I look like a white man, but I've been doubling down so long that I, I just put on this mask of being a white white male. Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. <laughs> How do I follow up Noah's final confession? A thing that we've all known for years. But now he is finally admitted publicly. Now, um, see, Antonio, I like 
I like so much of what you said about this film, except your interpretation implies that there was never any truth in their interactions whatsoever. And that I don't think fits with the rest of it. Does, it certainly doesn't fit with my interpretation of the film. Um, I, my I, don't interpret- I, would, I don't know that I would necessarily say that there's, that there's no truth in the interactions in the film, just that it has a different notion of what truth in the interactions is. And truth, truth in the interactions is not necessarily factuality. Truth in the interactions is sincerity and and clarity of purpose and willingness to pursue your that thread all as far as it goes. I think that's more the the commentary that the film has on truth. Do you think there's any moments in the film in which they take down the masks? Um. Now there, there we get to a question of whether the film believes that's possible. You know, to, to what extent? To what extent is our are are we able to speak past our masks? To what extent is is anything that we say not a performance art? Even even the act of trying to be honest means that you're adopting a a rhetorical frame of honesty, which is itself a a frame. A rhetorical frame, yeah. Right, it's not inherently an honest thing. It doesn't make your, your your discourse more honest. It just frames it as more honest. So, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I don't know if the film actually wants us to. I, I think I think the film I think the film maybe stands for the idea that we have some primal you know human cravings, some some things that are almost wordless that that underlie our masks and drive the way that they develop. But I don't know that they that 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 it takes a dualistic identity where you know there's something that's inside the gate and outside the gate. I don't know that the movie makes that kind of distinction. I think it's more blurry. I think that there are moments. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so my my moment for Mark Duplass's character is when they were in the hot tub. I think he was being very genuine in how he was reacting to her touches. I think that it was too weird to not be real. Um, and I don't see why that would be part of his mask, because there would be nothing uh, sexually uh, enticing about him doing that, nor would it, like, pay her off in any way. He was, I think, being very genuine in how he was um, enjoying that intimacy, and I think that was what he needed for that moment. And I think the moment when she was being genuine when her mask came off was when she was crying and putting her boots on after he tried to uh, hang himself. Um I, I honestly think that was when they were doing masks off. And, and there are lots of really amazing songs. <laughs> In fact, there's one that's really popular, a uh, hip hop song called Masks Off. And, and this, that's, those are those moments, you know, those are the moments when, when you take your mask off. Can you see those genuine moments in people? Of course, people could be manipulative about that. And, and we know that those are actors behaving in a particular yeah. way. So in a way, is that even masks off? I mean, that's an actor. Were they acting genuine? Was it all improv and those were genuine reactions from the actors? Uh-huh. Who knows? I, I, I don't know if it was genuine, but it seemed genuine. Well, I think I think it's incredibly and tellingly symbolic in the movie that, that one of the least ingenuous moments that Mark, Mark Duplass has is precisely when he takes all of his clothes off. And, you know, we, the audience, particularly if we've seen Creep 1, when we see him with all of his clothes off, we realize... This is not a man who has t- who has removed his mask. This is a man who is still a hundred percent masked. This is not a naked man, and uh, and I think that's 
part of the point the movie's trying to drive home. And her response to that was the moment when I knew that I was in for a different movie because I cannot imagine Patrick Bryce's character saying, okay, so now it's my turn. And then stripping all of it. And one of the fantastic elements, the reason that this works as a found footage film was then we got to see what he focused on. He was not gonna focus on uh, when when he takes the camera, we see what he's looking at. So he's not looking at any of the, the nudity. Um, he's only looking at her face and the incredibly uh, uh, like determined uh, look on her, her mask. Face. Right, her mask. Exactly. And that's a mo. I, I agree with you that that's a masked on moment for both of them. And it's especially it's I talked uh, when we were when when Noah had at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about how this was like an even match, even though Patrick Bryce is like five feet taller than Mark Duplass. I still thought that that man was going to totally fucking die. And and she's shorter than him and, and probably not as as uh, well. She's probably very scrappy. Um, but <laughs> nevertheless, I still thought like that was the moment when I was like, oh, my God, this is now an even match. Uh, uh, Aaron. Uh, Joseph, whatever the fuck your name is, you have, you are, you are in for a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll agree with Shara that the, the, the hot tub scene was a masked off moment. I also thought that ironically enough, again, um, two lies and a truth was a, a masked off moment, especially for her. I think she kisses him out of a genuine feeling um, I don't think that that is a, a masked on moment for her. I think there's some sincerity there. Uh, but yeah, and then, and so I think this film is so fucking complex in the sense that we can't put a unifying field theory, like a unifying thesis to the movie. Um, I think there are mo there are elements of it, in which I, as I said, I agree with Antonio, where it's about masks and and rhetorical and philosophical um, uh, lenses that we play. But as a whole, the film is just it's too complex to be able to be reduced to a single thesis, in my view. Oh my god. Her mask off moment. It was actually earlier. I realized it's when she was texting. It's oh, when she, she says oh, right, her yeah, name. Yeah. She says her actual name. She was trying to erase some stuff and she took her mask off in the texting. And then even when she met him in person and she said her name was Sarah, he was like, oh, you're being real right now. Your mask is off for your name. Like, ooh. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. But but on the other hand, at the she, she's at the same time she's telling him uh, lies about what she where she works and shit like that. Which yep, she, yep. True. And mask so, and so, mask. <laughs> exactly. So, and so this I think you know speaks to the complexity of what the movie regards as as your mask. You know, the mask has elements of truthfulness in it. It has your real name, but at the same time, it also has complete bullshit about what you do for a living. You know what I mean? Like. And these things, these things coexist in the reality that we shape for ourselves, or at least our outer selves. This is a, a fucked up film way more. I, I, like, I'm just saying, just having conversations with you guys, this is a really fucked up movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as the framing, when, when they were taking their clothes off, when, when Mark Duplass frames her, um, 
I took that as kind of actually an act of 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 sort of um, that that's a that's a mask off moment for Mark Duplass because because it reveals an essential prudishness about his character. You know what I mean? I don't I don't take the focus on the face to be a focus on the face of um, intensity of of wanting to really get the fine grained look on her face. I no. take the focus on the face as being I don't want there to be a gratuitous nude scene of her on this film. I want it to be about about the person that I'm going to kill, not about her body. You know? Now that that goes to a weird theory I have, uh, and I don't know if it's uh, going to be accurate, but I feel like the the third part of this film is going to take all of the elements of all of the film of all of the people, which we know he has a cabinet full of all the film of all the people he's killed. <laughs> um, I feel like that's all going to come together and uh, the intimate moments he's had with those people. And I feel like he's going to not necessarily make a documentary, but uh, show how close all of his closest relationships have ever been. Like, and I think he thinks the people he's killed are the most intimate relationships he has. So I feel like he's going to have one of those weird moments. You know, those really annoying moments when people go on a trip. And they take a bunch of pictures of their trip, and then they want to show you the slideshow, and everybody's sitting there like, oh my god, this is fucking cringy as fuck. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be the third part of this film series, is his snapshots of his cringy moments hanging out with all the people he was most intimate with. That, that's a perfect segue, because I what I wanted to ask was, what did you guys, and I'll go ahead, sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish, Jim, I just, I, I want to know what you guys want the third one to be, because they are making this a trilogy, so it's going to be a trilogy. I, I've seen an evolution from the first film to the second I, film that, that, that is fantastic to me. So going from second to third, that same, is it gonna, is it gonna be as good? Like, what do you guys want out of the third film? If you could just, 30 seconds okay, or less, this is what I want. Pitch Creep 3. Who's gonna, who wants to pitch Creep 3 first? <laughs> Listen up, Bryce. Listen before, up. Before we pitch Creep 3, um, um, what char characteristics that Mark Duplass exhibited over the movies now that you've heard a story, okay, I guess I guess this goes back to his trustworthiness. You know, as as I've said, I think he's wearing a mask the whole time, but some of what he says probably is reflective of things that actually happened, even if they're spun a particular way or distorted a particular way. One of the things that I think he was telling the truth about was the notion that he regards his victims as as totemic. You know, he regards his intimacy with them as passing something on to him as well as his providing something to them you know, the death that they wish for or whatever. And so what of Mark Duplass's traits do you suppose are totemic that he's adopted from previous victims? And that's what I think Creep 3 is going to be about. I think we're going to find out what... I agree. Which of his traits, which of his traits come from which of his victims. He, he absorbs shaves, all their souls. He yeah, he, sh he, he shaves his pubes. That comes from Kill 33. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, Honestly... I, I'm gonna reveal a moment I had from Creep 2 uh, when he was talking about laying in the grave and absorbing the soul of the person uh, that he had just killed. I had inside my head the Queen song, I am immortal, I haven't stopped me, blood of kings. Like, I, I was... I was thinking it, it, of how you absorb the soul of the person you kill, and I think he has that mentality, so... Yeah, it was, the end, it, there can be only one creep. <laughs> and I mean, if you buy that the story that he tells is basically accurate about his origin or whatever, 
um, then the wolf mask is something that he acquired from a victim. Yeah. Yeah, that makes you wonder what else he what else he acquired from a victim. Yeah, his that's daddy. Really there might have been a victim that acted as a father figure in at some point in time that that had the peach fuzz mask. Uh, maybe. Or, yeah, or someone who had cancer. Someone who had cancer that he actually killed. Right. It could have been someone who raped his wife from the first creep. You know, who knows? That's really interesting to think about. I I, I would like in Creep 3, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about this, that uh, do you guys remember in the original Creep, uh, Patrick Bryce gets a phone call, I think from Duplass's like his sister. sister. His sister. sister. Yeah. I'd love for that to be pursued a little bit, to bring an yeah. aura of real world outside of Duplass's mind games into the scenario at some point, to get a, a maybe a fresh perspective. It's almost like a third, a second, a second camera, a second camera in on the scenario. You know what I mean? But is she a think- sister? Yeah. Oh, can't hear you, Jim. You're muted. Are you pitching Creep 3, the uh, family intervention? I am. I am. Uh, if it happens, you heard it here, folks. Deadly analysis. Oh, my God. If it was a family intervention, uh, they all want to sit down. They're like, we need to show you like how fucked up you are. And then they have all the videos they took from his cabinet. And they're like, so look at what you did to Jim here. This was not okay to do this to Jim. Why me? Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you have to if be you're, one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, like if you're casting Patrick Bryce, let me give you my phone number. <laughs> I'll send you my headshots. I swear <laughs> to God, if Jim Enver ends up as one of, you know, the original victims, if you could be the main guy that started all this, that well, would be... Well, I mean, I am shorter than Mark Duplass. He could probably overpower me and squeeze the life out of it. Yeah, this is... I, I can see Jim like... opening up a car door to a young Duplass going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, that's that's your shot. That's all you need to do at that point. Yeah, yeah great from there, movie. I go into an Avengers movie. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the third one, can I'd like start... to see more of a... Yeah, Can we start every one of our shows with Noah saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. Tonight's going to be a good night. I can. I I I, uh, I did that to my wife when we were going out for a date. She was like, "You do that again, I'll fucking kill you." That was don't, don't do that, don't do that. So, uh, pitch, like, does Antonio want to pitch Creep Three? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Curious, curious what, what the rest of you want from it. It, it, it could be the story, but like, what's the thing you want in Creep Three? I'm working out my pitch right now, so I, right, I need a right. little moment. My my pitch. For Bryce Creep. comes to you and says, "Creep three. I'm going to build it off what you say, Antonio. What do you say, Bryce?" I, I like I like the uh, the notion of working off the sister. What I would do is they catch. I don't know exactly how you'd work the story. This is very off the cuff, but but the premise would be they catch Mark Duplass and the the police documentarians, you know, with their video cameras or whatever, are following him back through, you know, his kills or whatever. And or he he promises to lead them back if in exchange for whatever. And of course, the idea is that he's going to eventually get the upper hand over them in some way and and give them the slip. That definitely is a good angle for filming it, right? Like that would be, yeah, that would be a good. Yeah, that's a very good filmmaker. Yeah, that's you gotta, a, have, you gotta have the you still gotta have the found footage, and so you gotta you gotta either find somebody who's enough of a dupe to go for the found footage number. Yeah. Or you gotta have like you know more of a more more of a literal documentary. Hey, I know how you can push the found footage as well as promoting a good uh, thing in America is use uh, the cop cams. 
Ah, the other yeah. the other thing that occurred to me that would be a good premise for for Creep Three is if he's like Facebook live streaming. Ah, like unfriended or something. I think that's one where it has something like that in it, right? Yeah, a... does like IRL stream, like you know, forty X. <laughs> yeah. I have I have like the best idea ever. Serial killer, you know, uh, blah blah blah. <laughs> he's on Twitch. Yeah. No, no, I have the best idea. He has befriended. Funny. He has befriended a group of people that like to talk about horror movies and serial killers, and they're <laughs> on a sh show called Deadly Analysis. And he comes on, and he's like one of the hosts of the show, and then he reveals the actual kind of person he is. And everybody thinks he's telling jokes, but he's telling the truth. And he actually knows where all of us live, and he's going to kill all of us because he's gotten so intimate by being on a show like this with us. I feel like Saw bled over into that. Kind of halfway through. Okay, Ben, do you want to do your creep three? What do you What do you want out of creep three, Ben? Are you sure you want this? Because it's going to be the end all be all, and this is what's oh, happening. Let's do it. Oh, I, now, now I, really I got a I got a pretty good pitch that I've been writing down here. So, all right, man. Okay. All right. So creep three picks up almost immediately where creep two leaves off. You see Duplass's character, he's in the subway, he's following around Sarah, because obviously he's not dead. And this time he has his own camera. Maybe he utilizes like just a normal camera that he can carry around, maybe he has a GoPro, who knows. But he's the camera holder now, and that's how they maintain the found footage. The majority of Creep 2 is going, or Creep 3, excuse me, <laughs> is going to be comprised of him following around Sarah and hunting her down, because now they've established a game. She's the one kill that he wasn't able to finish. She's the one that was able to fight him back and almost kill him and give him as close to what he can fathom as the completion of his fantasy. And so now he's totally obsessed with her. At some point throughout their struggle, they rekindle their fantasy and their relationship together because now she has absorbed a piece of him and they end up making love. No, no, hold on, hold on. Let me push this out a little bit further. Okay, okay, okay. So the very end of Creep 3, Duplass dies. So she wins and she kills him. But just like we've speculated throughout the course of this, there is a sexual component to the fantasy. And so she makes love with him after he's already dead. And the very final scene in the movie is footage of her giving birth to his son. Boom. Done. Fuck. All right. So it's so close to mine. Mine, put, mine picks up a year later and Duplass and Sarah are a couple. And they are... They are doing, he is the camera holder. He has to be the camera holder. I think that that's the, like, you can't have a non-Duplass person be the camera holder in, in Creep 3. I think it's the logical extension of this franchise that, I guess it's a fucking franchise, that Duplass is now the ca camera holder. And they are a couple. They are natural, sort of natural-born killers, except they are going after the one kill that Duplass never got, and that's his family. That Ooh. so it's the the entire thing is Duplass and Sarah against his family, and then we have to go even deeper into Duplass's character and really find out what's real and what's not real. Because his family is the third, like, uh, in another one of the pitches, we were talking about how the family is the, the second camera, like, maybe an objective point of view. And in this case, we have to go through, we, we have to see the conflict between Duplass's masks 
and the reality of who Duplass is as uh, as a person. And throughout the course of that, Sarah, through her own sort of homicidal, is is understanding her own homicidal tendencies. And by the end of the film, there's a choice when Sarah has to choose to kill either her lover or the sister, and he chooses, she chooses to kill. You've got your hand. Oh, oh no, go ahead, continue, continue. Okay, uh, she chooses to kill Mark Duplass. And as she's killing Mark Duplass right before, she pops in juicy fruit into her mouth. Boom. That's how it ends. Bam. <laughs> yes, and now we have just, we've actually just put this onto, uh, onto YouTube, which means that we have also surrendered all rights and royalties Damn it. associated. Damn it. When Sarah pops the juicy fruit, <laughs> they need to they need to get the rights to the song Juicy Fruit, you know, where like Juicy Fruit. Do 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 you know the the Biggie Smalls uh he turned it into a rap song. But uh I, I agree one hundred percent, but now I'm going to put this forward to all of the people that are watching this video. When we do creep three, when we decide to sit down and talk about creep three, are we going to be wearing masks or are we gonna be nude? Ooh, I want to see it. what the comment section says, and, yeah. and we will we will be either nude <laughs> or wearing masks or both. I don't know. Maybe you guys maybe you guys want both, but I think uh, we should let the audience decide in the comment section. Yeah, the audience has to say like Jim, nude, you know, Sarah, mask, or however you know. So the comments would be each person and whether they're nude or masked. Um, but, uh, yeah. I am I am game for that. I am game for that. Whatever whatever they decide, the commenters decide. We will do for Creep Three. I'll get my uh, bathtub, but at least I get to wear the suit when I get into the tub. Like, can you? Like, three of us are going to die trying to do this. Technically, like you realize that, right? One of us is going to drop the phone. We're accidentally going to see each other's nuts. You know, our ass. What you know what I mean? Like, one of us is going to get like. Have, guess what's going to happen? I've already I attempted using the phone in the shower. Death in this game. <laughs> Ben's coworkers, watch out! You're about to see some Ben ass. No, no, I'm pretty sure I'm actually going to be safe because the people in the comments are just going to be like, "Yeah, Ben, make sure he just gets a haircut. Make sure he just gets a haircut." <laughs> oh my god, you guys, this is like the best fucking like creep three ever. I feel like, like whatever creep three is, if it does not get anywhere close to anything what you about what you guys have just said, I'm going to be just so disappointed. I mean, I was going to say like, I was going to say it's so much better than mine, guys. I was going to say like, um. I don't know. I was envisioning Duplass to be like a killer robot driving instructor who goes back in time for some reason, you know, to kill Hitler. But the, yours is so much better. I these are all great, great creep three uh, storylines. I, I have a question for the kid. Um, do you think that that we're gonna find out that Mark Duplass's character has mommy issues or daddy issues? Uh, feel free to tell us what you think. Ah, uh, ju judging from what from. he says, ooh, that's interesting. No, I think his, his relationship with his parents is going to be fine. He's probably going to come from a really, really rich family. I bet his parents are dead. Him and his sister have trust funds. He's completely taken care of. So I really think his family plays into his family at all. But I definitely think he's like ultra fucking rich. I think he's going to be a rich kid. I think those houses are Airbnbs. Ooh, that's a, I think he owns him. I don't know. I get the vibe that he owns him. I don't know. I thought that the, the first one is established that the house was rented. Yeah, it's important oh. fact it was rented. Oh. I hate to I hate to say that. Well, then again, well, no, Patrick Bryce was the one who said that it was rented. So, 
yeah, that's that's a reliable narrator. Airbnb so, is still renting. <laughs> so according so according to the Q and A that our uh, wonderful co-host Ben was able to get for us um, from the Chicago Film Festival. I think they filmed this whole thing in six days, like a week, less than a week, or around a week, right? Is that right, Ben? Was th I thought it was six days. Yeah, that's uh, that's what Bryce said. Yeah, yeah. six days. I, I, that's it, actually a lot shorter than the first film. I guess the first film they did over strands of time, and they had to like make sure their haircuts were the same and their clothes were all the same. But this one they did in in six days, which to me is incredible. I mean, from a, just from a cinematic perspective, what Bryce is really good at, I think, and Patrick Bryce is really good at doing, is taking a taking a little and making it a lot. You know what I mean? Like taking a setting and getting a really good character like Mark Duplass and just exploring uh, the just psychopathy or human psychology, making that the horror, the tension, I guess is maybe a better way to put it. There's uh, the appeal in both of these films is a kind of tension, a tension of violence, something's gonna happen. Um, you know, it, it, again, in the first film, I think the tension was, is this person really going, is this person a creep or is he a killer, right? Maybe we'll put it in, in, in that kind of way. In this one, we know he's a killer, but it, it, there's a sincerity here that gives you a little bit of a shield and makes you go, okay, well, let's pursue this. I'm good. Let's keep going. Let's keep going slowly, slowly. And I, there's some tension here in these films that, I don't know, man, there's something to be said for those that it, it, these are not very violent films at all. And yet they are so uh, interesting and and I, it's scary may be the wrong word, but it's it's almost a, um, I don't know, it's a, a silence of the lambs-ish sort of uh, appeal where you're kind of, you want to know what's underneath, you want to you look at the guy's brain and go, what? Why are you like that? What's happening? I think it's sexy. <laughs> oh, it's I think it's sexy as fuck. Um, uh, here's, here's my weirdo side of me coming out. And honestly, um, I feel like Sarah's character totally portrayed me in a lot of ways. I like the weird. I like the fucked up. When I find out people have really fucked up fetishes or things that they're into, I'm like, ooh, what more do you have to show me? Like, I get I get excited by the weird and the fucked up. I, I love going to museums where there's ridiculously strange, fucked up things to go and see. And I, I love the morbid and the macabre. I love I love anything that fucks with my head. It 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 does something for me. So I I totally felt like Sarah was a good representation of me. First off, with the fake ass mask that she was wearing. Uh, I do that all the time with weird fucked up people because I want to get into their brain more. But it's not necessarily that I'm lying, I just want to see more. Like, ooh, tell me all of your fucked up fantasies. Tell me all the fucked up things you're into. I get off on that. Um, and I could tell she did too. Um, also, uh, the idea that she tries to do certain things in her show that shows the fucked up, that reveals the fucked up, and tries to make it... She tries to make it real, like we're all a little bit weird. She wants to reveal that we're all a little bit odd. That's what her whole entire show is about, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go and encounter like this person, but I think her real drive is to show that we're all a little weird. We're all a little fucked up. We're all a little strange in our own little ways. And I love that. I, I fucking love that. And I appeal to that character. So, like it, She appeals to me so much. I love that that's who she is. So in the first creep film, Duplass would have killed me. And in the second creep film, he would have killed you. He would have uh, taken... He might have yeah. fucked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there you go. And I would have totally been down, FYI. I mean, that's that's no, like... Not, I, I... not even saying anything. I know he's a married man, nothing like that. But uh, no, I as far as his weird, creepy factor, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it, so... I, I'm very proud of us. We have gone an hour and 45 minutes without going over... Um, 
Well, his dick, you know? I mean, I thought that would be... I think we party. just did. I think it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, he's he's well endowed and uh, creepy as fuck. That is all I really look for in a man. So standards, standards. Do you guys have anything else you guys want to add before we rate it? I mean, what more could we possibly add to that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. like, why do you have to cut there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's end. Let's yeah, the fun- I almost the did a spit take on that one. <laughs> no, I, I, I do think that there is something to be said about um, how we're all fucked up. I think that is a part of the story. And yeah, masks, but... It's certainly weird. a vehicle. It's certainly a vehicle, right? I mean, it's the thing that gets her to uh, go to all these people's houses, which ends with Duplass. It's the thing that makes her pursue his uh, weird neuroticisms. It's the thing, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's fun. And not only that, I mean, she goes so far as to physically put that tape on her face and scare him and physically kind of put on a mask. She has her own peach fuzz sort of moment, right? Um, yeah, there's a kind of um, finding normalcy in the weird weirdness, finding normalcy in the creepiness, right? Um, and I think that's a vehicle that's used to explore other things, but the vehicle itself is actually a pretty cool thing to think about. Um, and that wasn't really pursued. Whereas the vehicle in the first film is, I don't know. I maybe more monetary. I mean, she does get money at the beginning, but it's so fast, and it's really not the main drive, right? I think that's how Aaron was too, though. Yeah. And he gave both of them the opportunity to take the money and run. He gave both of them that opportunity, and uh, it's not about the money. It really is not about the money. It's about the weirdness. It's about digging deeper into humanity. It's about hey, do you want to see something fucked up and interesting? Do you want to be a part of something weird? And we all want to be a part of something weird. Like that's, that is an actual drive, at least that I have. Maybe I'm putting that on everybody else, but I think being part of something that's odd and interesting or a first, uh, that's, uh, that's exciting and that feels good. And, and if you could put your name on it, like, hey, I did a documentary on a serial killer before he was even revealed to the public. Like I was with him. I could have put an ax through his neck, man. That's a story you get to tell at a bar that nobody can beat. Like, no one will beat that fucking story. And that's fun. Like, there's something exciting about having that story, that weirdness to be able to reveal to others. And I think that's what makes this such a great film because it appeals to this weird, fucked up part of ourselves that we try to hide. But it's there. It's under the surface. We want to be a part of something weird. Yeah, and that's such a that's such a great way to put it. I mean, it's it's a it really is. These two films are kind of an exploration into kind of the the, the human psyche, and I, I that is a horror film, and maybe as a rom com, I think even I think you could probably look at the second film as a sort of black comedy rom com. But as 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 a horror film, uh, I feel like these these two movies um, are unique. I, I I can't think of many other films that produce the the degree of tension that these do merely by sitting on a couch and having a conversation. Um, there's power in that. There's there's some there's an appeal to that. There's a uniqueness. And I I think that's why I love these two films so much is that, you know, even from a cinematic perspective, from a filmmaker's perspective, anyone could kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to attack this film by saying anyone could make this kind of film, but in theory, a good actor and a good director could do this anywhere. You know what I mean? I mean, there's something so, th- this film to me is better than so many high budget shit horror films. And all it took was a great actor, a couple great actors, uh, a really good um, you know, camera work and a home that one of them owns. I think they did this in, I think it was Mark Duplass's cabin or one of them owns a cabin where they did this. Um, 
and I, there's 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 kind of a lesson there. I mean, from a cinematic perspective, there's something to be said there about I don't know about about low budget horror, about uh, uh, the genre, uh, uh, what what makes good horror nowadays. I don't know, man. I, this these two films just uh, blew it out of the water for me. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we uh, before we close out and give it a score? I'm really interested in the scores for these. Well, uh, as I was just saying in the chat, um, if this is the kind of movie that you like, Noah, if this is the kind of movie, if this sort of uh, approach where you sort of conceive to yourself that a, a man with a good script and a good actor could really make a, a good movie out of very little, um, yeah. I'd recommend uh, the interview with Hugo Weaving. Um, I've, also, I've never seen that. I'll have to check that out. Yep, similar similar sort of setup where it's very minimalistic. It's almost entirely you know two hours of Hugo Weaving talking, and uh, it's an absolutely gripping, brilliant movie. Awesome, awesome. Well, your last recommendation was Sunshine, so I have to I'm, I have to listen at that point. I've 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 already torrented it as you were like well, you didn't notice, but it was just torrented as you were talking. Uh, cool, I'll check it out. I'll add lock. I'll add Locke to that list, um, L-O-C-K-E, with Tom Hardy. It's just Tom Hardy driving in a car. And, I've seen that, and that was and awesome. It's fucking amazing, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, and a lot of Edward Burns' films as well. It's just a guy with a camera and a few friends and a really great script. Um, and uh, Edward Burns and, and Mark Duplass also did a few other uh, Mark Duplass did a, a film called, I think it's The Puffy Chair. I could be mistaken on that. Um, I'll fact that, check myself. That's what it is. Yes, yeah, Puffy yeah, Chair. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, and that's a that's another film where it's a guy in a, uh, <laughs> a guy in a, a, with a camera and a really great actor and a really good story. Um, one of the great things about film, the film in 2017 is that People who uh, have really good ideas can make movies for a relatively low cost and get those films seen. Um, so it's uh, I'm, I'm looking for I, I, I'm sort of optimistic about how art, um, sort of underground art like this, is able to uh, to find an audience. So. Yeah, it's, uh, makes, it gives me a little bit of hope. I mean, every time I think of Annabelle, I'm going to use yours, Jim, uh, Annabelle. Uh, just remember just remember Creep, Creep 2. You know, a couple guys in a, in a cabin exploring shit. And I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, the original Creep was never slated to be a horror film. It was just an experiment, literally an experiment. It actually started out as a black comedy. Yeah. That's what it actually started out as. It, The cringe factor turned it into horror. Um, and... I understand why people equate cringe with horror, but it's not quite the same thing, you know? But I, I do understand when you are in a room with somebody who's a little fucked in the head, how you might start thinking, do I need to stab this motherfucker in a second? I don't know. Where are my weapons nearby that I might need to hit this person with if they go to that place? You know, um, I understand that mentality. And that's what this film brings out of us, right? Is when in our interpersonal relationships do we need to start questioning if this person is a threat physically and do we need to fucking kill them and i, I guess <laughs> um uh, some people may never ever go to that place with anybody i do it regularly that um, explains why when you came to visit me in dallas you had a baseball bat at every turn 
<laughs> Gotta have a sense. weapon nearby. <laughs> and this also explains why I don't think I'll ever meet Shayra face to face. I don't plan on killing anybody. Just, I, I'm not planning on killing, but if I need to. In the next 24 hours. Shayra's like, <laughs> I don't plan on killing anybody. I plan on having them kill me. Yes, and if they happen to try to kill me, I might react in some kind of way. I don't know. It. We'll see how it plays out. I'm kind of liking all of you. You guys are. I feel really close. Do, do, do you all guys it takes hug? is. I think. I, takes... I think I need a hug. <laughs> all it takes is one wrong turn, and Shayra will cut off one of your heads and snuggle fuck it. So yeah, you know. The kind of thing you need to know whenever we do that episode in the Overlook Hotel, right? For for the Shining, right? Like we're gonna need to know that yes. Shayra's the crazy one. I will be the crazy person uh, because yeah, I I am the most paranoid. Honestly, um, I I will be the perfect crazy person. But it's not that I want to kill any of you. It's just if I have to, if you get possessed by a ghost at the hotel, I might need to deal with it. And I'm not going to sit in the cold and shiver like, you know, a pathetic piece of shit. I, I, I'm going to... Hey, utility. You're a utilitarian through and through. I got gotcha. you. Yes, yes. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, well, that is uh, good to know and um, somewhat horrifying. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, they need, to, in my opinion, to make more films like this. And, and I don't necessarily mean small, uh, you know, lower budget. Everyone needs to be in a room, minimalistic things. But they need to make more films that are cerebral like this. This was, I, I consider this a horror film. Um, I, I know Patrick Bryce doesn't. I think he's been pressed on this and he, he doesn't really consider it a horror film. I do, just because I have that very... <laughs> horrorish view of horror like I, I have this very um open view of horror and I, I take a very loose definition of it um whereas i don't think he does but i i do think that this produces some of the same sort of feelings cringy scary what's going to happen next um there are some some violent scenes there's pop-out scenes although they're hilarious because sarah doesn't get scared which i thought was fucking one of the best parts of this whole film um yeah i mean i i consider this to be a horror film i think it was fantastic um I really think they need to make more films like this, guys. I, I and I, I'm not saying that just because uh, I love Patrick Rice and Mark Duplass. This is uh, I really do think that this was better than the original. Um, I don't think by much, but I think uh, I think they they enhanced all of the things that at least for me I didn't like about the first one. There were very few, but the things that I didn't, the things that 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 strained my credulity, um, were answered and fixed and remedied and 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 filled in. Um, and uh, this one was a lot funnier. I don't, is one thing's you know maybe we kind of dance around, but this one was a lot funnier. I, my I called off. it a rom com oh, for totally. a reason. It was hilarious. I there were so many times where Kylie and I were laughing. Uh, it was funny. It was cute. We were like, oh look, they love each other. Look at them. They're so cute. Like, well, it threw me for a loop. It threw me for a loop too because it was like um you know where he's trying to scare. He, he doesn't scare her, and she's like, are you ready to go? Really, really? Are you ready? And then they get in the car, and he's just he's with the mask on driving. I lost my shit. I was laughing my ass off. My favorite remark, and I swear to God, this would be a conversation with me and my husband. I shit you not, this would be a conversation with me and my husband. He's driving with the mask on. And he's like, you're not scared? She's like, well, as a passenger, yeah, I'm going to be scared. Because you probably can't see properly through that mask. But, you know, the mask is not in and of itself scary and i was like yes that is exactly what i would say to my husband <laughs> but what's interesting right is use that scene as a kind of uh, metaphor that that goes back to i think your original point everyone else here there are, are points about masks because what she's doing in that is he's asking her a very sincere fundamental question do i scare you are you scared of me 
And she takes a step back and is not taking that seriously. And she answers the question from a very different kind of precipice. She's, she's looking down and says, well, as a passenger in her car, right? That's not what he means. <laughs> That's nowhere near what he means. He's on a very different level when he asks that question than she is when she answers it. And that goes back to the idea of wearing masks and either being connected or in that case, in that moment, being separated. He's got his mask on. But what's so ironic is that's the moment where they're they're the least connected. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like he puts on the peach fuzz mask, but they're the least connected there. And she answers him not in a way that's sincere related to his question. She says, no, well, as a driver, you're scaring the She's shit like, out of me. I, I see your mask. Uh, I don't even have a conversation with this shit. Fuck you. Yeah. And, and what was great was a place of connectivity, which also a point of comedy for me, was when he was planking out in the middle of the wilderness, right? Like... She's trying to look for him. You know, this was a scary moment in the first creep, right? You know, he, he's looking for Joseph, uh, Mark Duplass's character, and looking everywhere, and he jumps out of the bush and goes, Bleh! but for her incident of looking for him, he's like planking. Like, I don't even know what he's doing. He's planking out in the middle of nowhere. And then she goes over and she's like poking at him like, are you, are you, are you dying? What the fuck is happening? And he's like, don't leave me. And they interlock fingers like this. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cute. And yeah, it was such a, it was such comedic. a complex scene. Yeah. It was like, there was comedy and empathy and a closeness and fear, like all within a few minutes of each other in that particular segment. So layered in what, yeah. you feel, what you're feeling from that part. And it's such a weird thing too, because fear, where is he? Is he going to jump out? Is he going to get me? Oh, he's planking. Oh, we're interlocking fingers. Oh, this is an intimate moment. What the fuck is happening? And and you you want you're watching it and you're like, I don't know if I like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I was just mad that he was. I thought he was gonna cheat on Aaron. I mean, I thought he loved Aaron more. You know, I don't know. I my favorite moment, by the way, is when he gives the locket to her, and he's like, "This is for you." It has a picture of another guy. I'm going to admit, I didn't think we would have something here. But it's so clear he really loved Aaron. And he named himself Aaron. That's another sign that he really loved Aaron. Like, he has a thing for Aaron. Aaron is his fucking boo. <laughs> or what, what, what are we calling Ben? I think Ben, in our text message, Ben was like, old Aaron. Yeah, old. <laughs> old Aaron. Well, let's score this film, guys. Um, I'll start. I, uh... I, I have to go. I should have gone back and seen what we scored the original. It was very high. It was up there with It Follows. I think most of it, well, at least my score of It Follows. Um, uh, I, I'm going to give this film overall. I, I, so let's do the fear and overall. This film wasn't particularly scary in terms of like my fear scheme and things that scare me. I, it, fear factor, I'd probably give it like a six. Wasn't that scary? Um, it was more uh, interesting, more cerebral, um, funny weird and made me think and feel kind of creepy. There was that creepiness. I, I got to give the first film a little more of the creep factor than the second film. The first film made me more uh, like, like just kind of do this. I was like this the whole first film. I didn't have a neck the first film. Okay. The second film I already knew is a killer. So some of that went away and it was more just, okay, is he going to kill her? And there's these other conversations. The first one had, uh, had me a little more creeped out, <laughs> but the second film was the better film to me. The second film explored shit by which the exploration itself was scarier. I, I feel like going inward gave me more mental shit to, to think about, to dance around with. 
and that made me a little unsettled. I felt more unsettled in this film than I think I did in the first one. The first one creeped me out, and and I just had that question mark in my head, is this a Craigslist stalker or a murderer? I knew Antonio caught it early on. I mean, we had this conversation in the first film. I hate all of you, because I did not catch that, I did not actually think this guy was gonna die, I thought he was gonna get away, and I'm, I'm just a moron. Um, but, uh, I, I knew better in this film. I knew better. I was thinking of you guys too. I'm like, no, you're not going to get me in this one. I know you're going to do something bad. Um, so that appeal was gone from the first film, but this one made me kind of just, I was kind of like this as opposed to like this the whole time, I guess. Um, so I, Fear Factor 6, overall, um, the, the film to me is a 9. I'd give it a 9. Um, um, I, I'd give it a higher score, like a 9.5 at the end. I just, I wish it could, it would have been better. There, there's, uh, I have the Garrett approach to this where, um, you know, if you can think of, if you're sitting there watching it and you you conceive of a better ending or you conceive of one that, I forget how he puts this, but um, one of his biggest factors is, I see where this is going and I could, I, I, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a divergence that you should be going, don't do that, don't go down there, I got one better for you. And, and they don't do it and they go down the path, you're like, oh, why did you go there? That happened to me in this film. I, I, I would have loved for them to just end with two films here. They die uh, in the uh, in the grave together. Something like that happens, or she actually does kill him, right? Where where the fantasy comes to reality, right? I would have dug that. I'd give it a higher score. I still give it a nine. I mean, that's really high for me. I think. I don't know. Maybe I give all my films nines. Who the fuck knows? Um, but uh, yeah, so I give us a nine uh, overall. Fear Factor six. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I think this is the second best horror film of 2017, uh, only after A Dark Song, which is my favorite horror film of 2017. So I liked uh, Creep 1 better in that it was, you know, a, a, a discursive unrolling of the, of the Duplass character, which I thought was very compelling. And I also enjoyed the improvisational nature of it, uh, whereas uh, Creep 2 comes off as much more obviously scripted, at least to me. Um, and but as I said, you know, Creep Two is is in many respects a better movie, and it's certainly a smarter movie. Uh, the the as far as a fear factor, not really a fear factor. You know, they have some jump scares, and there's an uncomfortableness throughout. But but I kind of agree with the the director's notion that this isn't exactly a horror movie. You're not exactly supposed to be scared so much as you're supposed to be kind of weirded out or or that that strange mix of horror and intrigue that that underlies the carnival experience you know um and so um creep 2 has that in abundance and it does a good job with it um i think that the the character the the main character the mark Duplass character is just as good the the secondary character the sidekick so speaks uh she plays a decent foil, um, but ultimately I don't think that she's really that much more compelling. She's fleshed out more, and so I, there's there's more to her, but I don't think that she's I don't think that she's drawn in, in a more sympathetic way than Aaron was in the first movie. Um but uh but the pacing is good, the beats are good, um, the ending has a nice triple twist, although it's as as we've all kind of shat on thus far it it, ha it has some elements where you could have you, you could have um you could have crafted a tighter ending um and just cut to black and and you know come away with a better movie um but overall i think that the movie is it, it, it's solid it's smart it's watchable it's disconcerting um a little bit of a weak ending first one gives you that gives you the vibe that you're looking for more 
Um, but it's still a solid movie. I'd probably give it a seven out of 10. Okay. I, uh, I really like this. I like this. I think I gave the original creep either a six or a seven. I wasn't on the original creep podcast, but when I watched it on my own, it was a three and a half stars. And now I have to times it by two. Um, but this is, it's an eight. I want to make it a nine, like eight and a half for me. I I really liked the the foil character. I liked Sarah a lot more than I like um, Patrick Bryce's character because I felt like Sarah's Sarah was his match in many ways. That um, a, a match in terms of wits, all of the bullshit that he was trying to play on her or all the bullshit that he played on the Patrick Bryce character didn't work on her. And I thought those were fantastic curveballs that the film was throwing me. And there were a lot less, there were a lot fewer moments when I was like, get the fuck out of there. This is crazy. What no rational human being would stay in this situation. Um, that the film addressed those things, I thought was it, it moved the film up in my estimation. Um, I, unlike a lot of uh, a lot of the rest of us, I actually dug the ending. I liked it, um, and I think it's it made me excited for Creep Three. So, especially if you uh, if you take my idea, I can help develop it, Patrick Brace. No, um, so yeah, I, I think it's I, I I was I was really impressed with this film, and uh, so yeah, I like it quite a bit. She read Ben. What'd you Someone guys else go. I guess I can go. Um, so uh, obviously, I, I really enjoyed this one, um, and that might just be uh, an effect of being able to see kind of like that that preview at the Chicago International Film Festival and meeting Patrick Bryce just very briefly. Like I don't oversell that. Like I had a photo with him and I said hi. <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. Um, but it, it left an impression, right? And it was really cool. It was a cool experience. And so like, that's really going to connect me with the film a little bit more. Um, with that being said, like, I really do just enjoy the fact that they were to, uh, they, they were able to kind of like develop really sort of like complex character development and do a lot of really awesome things without making it a really expensive movie, right? Like, I mean, this is not Michael Bay shit. Like, you know, anyone could go out and do this kind of movie. And I, I really want to encourage, like, if anyone is watching this and, and enjoys writing stories and doing, like, you know, random fun films with their friends, like, this is exactly what you can do. You can make something so amazing that it leaves an impact on people without having million-dollar budgets, without having any budget. Like, you can just drive out to a cabin and make some fun movie with your bros, you know, and, and, and just produce something absolutely incredible. Um and I love pieces of work like this because they sort of tell you that. Um, Creep 2 is an amazing film because they were able to layer in amazing complexity without sort of adhering to kind of like the, the standard sort of tropes and kind of like overall impression that you that you have to do certain things with movies to make them good. You know, it's absolutely not true. You can do a, an amazing film cheaply as long as your writings are fun, like good, you know, as long as your ideas are fun. Um, and this really sort of showcases that, right? So... 
Going beyond that, though, I, I, I definitely enjoyed this because of the character development, because they have a really interesting juxtaposition between the protagonist and the antagonist. There are a lot of really close similarities, but obviously there are some differences there. You know, I mean, they do a lot of really interesting foreshadowing. Um, you know, just everything about this movie is so incredible, and it's not just a horror film. Um, there are a lot of things in here, like, you know, and yes, Patrick Bryce has described this as a rom-com, and I totally get it, because it kind of is. Like, you know, if you if you just sort of minimize kind of like the way that that uh, that Duplass's character sees the killing aspect, like it's just kind of like a weird quirk. Like it just it's just like a thing that he likes to do. And if you just sort of accept that premise, this is just kind of like a weird way to for for two characters to sort of like connect and have a relationship and develop their communication and and have like sort of like a fun thing together. And you know, it's it's so it's so mind blowing, I think, in a lot of ways. And like just the, the way that it was put together, I think like the actors and the director, the people who wrote the music, like I think everyone had a lot of fun. There are a lot of reasons why this is just such an amazing piece of work. Um, when I score this though, I don't necessarily think of it in the way that I might think of a lot of horror films because it is a little bit atypical. I mean, there are so many layers to this that I don't think you can really rate it on a layer of, you know, is this is this scary to you? I mean, you know, we obviously know that the main sort of protagonist is is a serial killer, and you kind of expect that out of him. And yeah, I mean, the jump scares are there, but they serve like a sort of a different purpose. Um, and so, I I would have to overall give this a nine, but it's like a, in a way that I would give, um, it's 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 in the same sort of way that I would give the Seventh Seal a ten, right? Like it's not because it, like it really scared me, like it touched on something else, like there was something more fundamental to this that was way more important than watching a film and be like, oh man that gore was intense or like, oh man, you know, that, that really scared me. There was something deeper there and something more interesting and something more important. Um, and that's kind of like the core aspect I think of this film that I really want to score that on. And which is why I'm going to give it a nine. Um, you know, I, I, I think anyone watching this, like you absolutely, if you haven't seen this film, you really need to go see it, think about it. Um, and if you like film, at all and you're sort of like amateur like go go watch this and and think about what you're doing yourself because i think it's like a fantastic template for anyone who just sort of wants to make something for themselves like any kind of a content creator needs to watch this and think about what they're doing because you don't have to adhere to any sort of like major template like you can just go out and have fun and create something absolutely amazing yeah just to uh before sherry goes your summary uh was so persuasive that antonio possibly uh is upgrading his 7.5 to an 8 uh, under consideration of how difficult it was to, well, the, how this film was made under such a, a low budget. So there you go. Look at that. Power in words, my friend. Power in words. Let's see if I can adjust it back, but also still say that I love the film. Um, <laughs> let's also put into perspective that Patrick Bryce, the reason why he was able to make this film is the fact that Mark Duplass uh, and his wife needed a nanny. And they got a nanny in Patrick Bryce's wife and while he was in film school his wife was watching their kids and um he had lots of conversations with mark duplass like they had conversations and hanging out in his house and and really developing a character as well as talking about how a film should be made and and how we could make something really funny and creepy um i don't think they were going for something that was horror related at first but um they're like, haha, would it be? F They're trolls. They're like, haha, this would be funny. Uh, this is funny, but haha. And they were dicking around, having conversations, and that's how this film really came to fruition. How many people have someone like Mark Duplass in their pocket 
to uh, do something creative like that. I mean, if you're like a first-time director, a first-time filmmaker, and you don't have someone of that caliber in your pocket, it's probably going to fall on its face and turn into shit. Uh, and a lot of this stuff was improvised, and this is a, a really good comedian who knows how to fuck with people, who's a classic troll, and that all came forth. And the fact that a lot of the running through the forest in the original film is just, I think it was like a couple of years of them just dicking around in the forest together with a camera uh, and, and coming up with uh, Im improv awesomeness and creepiness that, that made the film in its original form so amazing. Now, yes, the, the second one was uh, a shorter filming time, but um, we have to also remember the amazing thing that Bryce had in his pocket there, and that was an actor that could be a troll. Um, and that is one of the reasons why this film is so great to me. It is a, it's a troll movie, and it's a troll series. It's a series of a troll that went to a special level, and he found a, a female troll that was at the same caliber as he was, and it's so sweet, and it's like, it's the greatest love story ever told. And I, I hope that they can have babies together. Um, <laughs> that's all I hope for. Um, I don't, I don't see this as a horror movie. It didn't scare me. I was, I was smitten the whole time. Um, so I can't give it a high scary factor. I'll give it a four. There were times where I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, um, it wasn't a high scary factor, but such a good film. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. Everything about this film was great and it was as if. They might have watched our show and uh, um, maneuvered around it. And also, I love that, you know, Sarah thought things through as a character and improv some stuff. Um, got into my mind. I felt like they were reading my mind when I was watching it. So, fantastic, fantastic film. I give it an 8.5 because it's so good. It's not scary, but it's so good. And, you know, if I ever want to teach people about love... Um, <laughs> I'll show them that film. <laughs> oh my god. The greatest love story ever told. Romeo and Juliet and Joseph and Sarah. Um, yeah, that's that just sounded weird coming out of my mouth, actually. Uh awesome. Awesome. Uh yeah, these are good scores. Uh this was fun. I at some point in this podcast, I was hoping to look at you and be like, you know, if I ask you a question, will you answer me honestly? That's one of my favorite lines in these films. And it's, I just wanted to throw this out here that it's used so perfectly in both films. It's used to diffuse like uh, fear and tension in the, in the protagonist. Like it's always used when a character's like, what, when Bryce is like, what you were, you were watching me. What? And then it, Aaron, if I ask you a question, will you answer me honestly? And then in this film, she says that to him. Fucking loved it. That was just the way they understood their first film and how they utilized how much they knew about it in the second one is a testament to how to fix films that are even really good, how to make them better rather. Um, you know, being self-critical, might that be an easier thing to do when your budget's lower, when it's, uh, you know, a lower a lower uh, budgeted film? I mean, I, I just, it, it's like it got better purposefully, easily. I mean, it's, it's so clearly took the things that were missing and enhanced them in the second one. And I, I, I can't, Attest that, attach that to anything other than being self-aware, right? Like being self-aware. You own it's the opposite of Michael Bay. Someone, someone throughout Michael Bay. And it's the opposite of Michael Bay, right? Um, I, yeah. So anyway, just tack that on to the end. Fucking I, I would like to point out about the question thing. Uh, yeah. There is a common 
theme in a lot, well, maybe it's not a theme, it's a cliche, I guess, in a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows, where there's always a person, you're going to notice it now, from now on, you're going to be like, holy shit, Shaver, put this in my head. There's always somebody who goes, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? That's such a common thing that's written into every single script. It's and one of so, my least favorite, yes, I'm with so you. It's so bad, it's such a bad, bad thing, and they took that, and made it something really creepy and interesting. And I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. And I love that you know uh, uh, that you noticed that and you thought it was, you know, a, a good creepy factor to to the film. Like you you now want to ask that to everybody. Oh yeah. They took a cliche and they and they turn it into something creepy. And you're like, oh, I like this. I want to I want to incorporate this in every part of my interactions. I, I've been starting to do that with my wife. Whenever like she'll get fresh with me. Whenever she'll get mad, I'll interrupt her and say, if I answer if I ask you a question, will you answer me honestly? Like I started doing that and I'd interrupt her. Dude, don't do that. You can get away with one or two, but the second she starts to she watched it with me. So she watched Creep Two with me. So she she knows she knows. So you're taking marriage advice from a sociopath who's, I am. Uh, as he says, never been laid? Uh, and I would like to point out, uh, in four days, I have my 10-year anniversary. So sociopathy has its benefits. God damn it. Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. Fair play, dude. Fair play. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you guys for watching the Deadly Analysis podcast this week for Creep 2. Uh, look forward to Creep 3 whenever they make that because you are damn sure going to see us talking about it. Um, next week, we are uh, doing, uh, next Sunday, we are doing uh, Alien. Release, Scott, 1979, I think. Uh, is it 1979? Alien? Yeah, I think so. All right, they're nodding. Yeah, there's an I don't know. I think it's 1979. So we're doing Alien next week, 6 p.m. I, I won't be here. One of the other co-hosts is going to host it um, because I will be uh, enjoying my sociopathy-infused uh, 10-year anniversary uh, with my wife. So I will be out. Uh, we're doing Alien, and then I think the next week we are doing uh, Audition and then Antichrist, which are both two extremely violent. We're, we're going to hit the violent shit now. This is where stuff gets serious. We go from the mental and the cerebral to like hacksawing the feet and shit and poking the eyes out. I, this is and 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 Antichrist. I can't even tell you how much I don't want to watch Antichrist. I, I cannot... I will say all three of them have a feminist bend. If you they want do, to. they do. So. That's my understanding too. This would be interesting. Um, I what it, Antichrist is so awesome. Like, no, please, please watch it. Please. Oh, I have to. It's on the list. I, 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 so good. I made the decision when we made this podcast that whatever film was thrown on there, even like a Serbian film, if one of y'all were crazy enough to do that, uh, I would watch any of them. But I told, I told my wife, I told Danielle, I'm like, dude, I got to watch Antichrist, and I, I've heard what happens in that movie. And I'm not looking forward to it, so. It's not okay, but you're gonna be afraid of acorns, so beware. Okay, I don't, oh, Jesus, okay. I can't, all right, I have no idea what that's in reference to, but now when we watch this movie, I'm gonna go back and watch this and go, Noah, you should have just not, you should have just not watched it. I can already tell. All right, anyway, well, join us next week for Alien uh, before the uh, acorn uh, scenes in the, the upcoming weeks. God help us. I don't even, I don't even know what I'm foreshadowing. Thanks, Shara. Uh, all right, guys, well, have a good night. Thanks for watching and uh, tune in next week, 6 p.m. Uh, Sunday night and take care.